Hello and welcome to episode 228 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. And I'm Abby McCauley. Hello, Abby. Welcome back, our good friend. Hello. It, it has been uh, several months now since you since you graced us on your last appearance. What was uh, what was the movie you were on last time? Do we remember this? A Knight's Tale. Right. Yeah. Okay. But when did we do that? Knight's- May. 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 How the time flies. That's five <laughs> months ago now. At the time of recording. Doesn't oh feel that long, does it? No, no, it feels like I was just sitting here, like my seat is still warm. Yeah. <laughs> you may have been the last person to actually be in the room as a guest. Is that accurate? Yep. Well, at least with the three of us, because oh. I mean, you've had people, you've nope. had people on over the summer, right? When was Ray here? Oh, I think Ray true. was after. Yeah, we yeah. had some like yeah. it hot. Okay, it so might have been like literally the day after you. It, w- it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ray, Ray or was the week the, after. Right? Ray was the next week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thank you for getting back so promptly. Sometimes we have uh, we have people in the in the chat group, our, our PFGs, um, you know, decide to take a hiatus of several years. But if you continue at this pace, you'll surpass the uh, the Jordans and Rachels of the world. Yeah, in, I was going to no say, time. what's my goal here? Because I do want to be well, Rachel. Let's let's but... talk about what is your goal here. <laughs> yeah, what is your goal? What are you trying to do here? <laughs> well, I don't know. Be like best liked member, most listened to member. Okay, well, most those are all those are all on the member. table. Those are know. all on okay, the table. Well, jo- Jordan's the all time leader, and uh, I, I don't even of appearances. Okay, and okay. I think she might she might be closing in on ten. Yeah, it's a lot. If not more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel would probably be second. Chards would then be third. After that, it's kind of up in the air. Jordan definitely skyrocketed in appearance over the summer, yeah. uh, taking uh, taking the weight off of me, taking, yeah. taking the heat off of yeah. me for not being here. Jordan stepped up a lot while you were yeah. taking your little musical break, and uh, and so did Rachel. But yeah, you uh, with, with your second appearance, you have now officially passed Kyle. Okay. <laughs> and and Ray, right? Ray. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So not I've got last some place. Yeah, yeah. Not right? last place. Got some some I should, movement uh, I should forward. Actually put some put some numbers together to, to uh, Do we also maybe just here. want to give a brief shout out to uh to Mushy uh, who was unable to make it oh, tonight. Oh, I know. Uh, if, if you have a drink with you pour one out for uh for Mushhead. Yep. She uh she was unable to make it tonight. It was supposed to be a uh, a foursome on the podcast tonight. And uh, it is not. It is not. I no. Even, I don't even know if Ashley listens, so fuck that bitch. Yeah, never mind. No shout out. <laughs> yeah. No shout out to You that know what? This will probably be the one time that she listens and she'll be like, oh, no, that, that's about right. What a lovely, what a lovely movie. I yeah. hope I can tune in and listen to my friends. It probably, yeah. probably would have hurt her if Sam had said, fuck that bitch. Yeah. yeah. Kind yeah. of for me, it's like, yeah. I've only just recently <laughs> hopped on the T-Bone hate train on these. I, I felt like I don't know T-Bone well enough to pour some hate on him, but the but nose really, jokes just really write themselves. But you so. really should hate him. <laughs> I hate that man. I don't hate him. Pressure. I don't. I know. Yeah. Because you don't know him well enough. I know. And I feel like I do know him well enough, but then I really don't. Yeah. So. He is a really sweet guy. You're just doing the toxic male thing where it's like, oh, I have strong, positive feelings for this person, so I'm going to lash out and pretend I hate you. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a pleasure to have you back, Abby. We, Delighted. I knew, yeah. I knew that uh, when, even before you were even a guest, this was uh, this was already on our list of movies for this miniseries. And then when you came on and you revealed that this is one of your all-time favorite movies, I was like... <laughs> Abby's already got her second episode, <laughs> yeah. and she doesn't Bang. and she doesn't even know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're very glad to have you here. Uh, welcome back. Before we get started, uh, every once in a while we like to do this on the show. We like to memorialize uh, those that have passed. 
uh, in this art form. And there's two people that, while their filmographies are quite expansive, a lot of the stuff they've done hasn't been well-known, but some of the stuff they've done is so iconic that we thought it would be appropriate to give them a shout-out. Um, the first uh, person we want to give our thanks to is Angela Lansbury, mostly known for, well, for a TV show, but her biggest role for most people is Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, expertly cast in yeah. that role, which we'll be reviewing later on. This Oh, that's a, this, that's a 91. It's hey. a 91. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jordan's already earmarked that one. Mm. Uh, she called that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anytime there's a Disney movie on, it's basically a coin flip between yeah. Rachel and Jordan, or like a Disney 2D animated. And Mushy. Mushy wants in on all of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, might, she might try and jam her way into that one too god we're gonna have to get like a whole panel of microphones and i know i was gonna say i might need to as well because that's my favorite disney movie is it really <laughs> yeah fuck we can just have a fucking like we can have a party the live action i don't have five spots for the mics yeah we can get like a room microphone yeah the live action i bawled my eyes out my oh. sister took me and i bawled my eyes out because i was so happy <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't. I don't care how great or not great that movie was. It was just like my childhood and my love for this movie, and I was like, I'm done. Uh, so I'm that's done. the. It was be our guest. You're by talking the about way. the 2017 yep. live action remake. Are you aware that Manny listed that as his least favorite movie of 2017? Yeah, I didn't say I like enjoyed it for <laughs> any other reason except for that it was my childhood like coming to life. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. No, yeah. I, I can understand that feeling. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what the MCU is to me. Yeah, okay, fair. Yeah, yeah. It's literally watching my childhood come to life. Yeah. Uh, the other films and things that Angela Lansbury has done of note is, for me, I actually know her best as Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. Now, I never watched an episode in my life, but that show was always on when I was growing up. So I have no idea if it was good, but if I remember correctly, prior to us coming on, I think I mentioned she did like 293 episodes. So the show must have been pretty okay. Pretty okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the two other roles, uh, she did a Disney movie. I'm pretty sure it's a Disney movie. Uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Never seen it. Never heard of that. Uh, she played the character Miss Price. And then she was, I think she got Oscar nominated for the role as Mrs. Eleanor Shaw Islin in the original Manchurian Candidate. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, I believe that Angela Lansbury has three Oscar nominations to her name. I am correct. Three. Uh, I guess I should quickly find out what they are. Uh, supporting role for Manchurian, supporting actress for the picture of Dorian Gray, and best supporting actress in Gaslight. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, so Angela, we wanted to just take this moment to thank you for the great work you've done in our art form. We tip our cap to you. Good madam. Cheers. Another person that passed away, I won't lie. Jordan, get the Kleenex. Yeah. Is Robbie Coltrane. Now, obviously, he's known as playing Hagrid in the Harry Potter franchise. For those that listen to this episode... They know that the Harry Potter franchise means next to nothing to me. So his passing doesn't really affect me, but I understand how important that franchise is. 
to a lot of people uh, in the film community and in our little podcast community, uh, I'm sure this hit pretty hard, especially for Jordan and Wes, who are massive massive nerds. Yeah, massive. So uh, my virtual hug to the two of you on the loss of somebody that uh, that meant a lot to you growing up. Uh, Harry Potter, Abby, what's uh, how you feel? Oh, I love Harry Potter. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Bowie and I just started watching it like before his passing. And so it, it's just like when he passed away, I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I just started watching these movies. And, you know, Bowie's getting into it and all the magic and everything. And so it was just a fresh wound. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Did, did you happen to hear uh, the. So there was a um, HBO Max special, Harry Potter 20th anniversary special that came out recently. <laughs> Have you seen the clip that, uh, that's been going around yes. of Robbie Coltrane in that? No. Oh. Um, he's doing one of these like talking head interviews for this documentary for the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter. And I'm just trying to find the exact quote. I can only see the video right now. Um, he, it says something like, uh, uh, maybe it, it's the kind of movie, Harry Potter is the kind of movie that... Uh, my kids or the, my grand grandkids and great grandkids will be talking about in 50 years uh i'll not be here sadly but hagrid will oh that's harsh yeah <laughs> that, that literally came out uh, how long ago like early this year anyway yeah. i don't know exactly when but yeah it was so, earlier this it was year. 2022 yeah so, uh, that video has just been making its rounds of robbie coltrane saying uh in 50 years i'll not be here but hagrid will be and harry potter fans shedding several tears of course as well um i for the record, just to uh, tell people who may not know, I definitely did grow up with these books and these movies. I read the books, watched the movies as they came out. Um, I think I hopped on the train around the time that um, the Half-Blood Prince book was about to be released. And mm. I started catching up with the, uh, with the books. Um, but yeah, so these were a part of my childhood. I'm not as deeply invested in them as uh, Jordan and Wes are. Um, they are absolute diehards, and I don't consider them to be among my favorite movies, but they I certainly grew up with them. So, I, yeah, this uh, this didn't hurt me as deeply as it did them, but it definitely still stung a bit. It, and I mean this in no disrespect, did not affect me at all. Because yeah. I, I just I didn't grow up watching the, the Harry Potter franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I only watched it, what was that, last year, two years ago? Uh, yeah. I was still living in Calgary when we were doing that. So, so two, two years, years ago, yeah. two years ago, we we did a review of the whole franchise, and that was my first watch. Mm-hmm. Oh my the gosh! Whole, whole franchise, yeah. <laughs> How? I just not an interest. I one, I, I didn't read the books. Okay. Two, yeah. I seen the first one in theaters, and I was like, not for me. <laughs> Three, magic, fantasy, not really the genre i enjoy so yeah so i i I, also know lord of the rings as we've talked about yeah not a fan of lord of the rings now the lord of the rings trilogy let's keep the hobbit off to the side there Mm -hmm. the lord of the rings franchise trilogy technically a masterpiece the movies themselves are boring as fuck and way too long <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't like the four and a half uh, hour edition of return of the king that was rough yeah. and we're gonna have to redo that are we 
Yep. Are we doing that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember being in high school and being at my friend's house and just passing out partway through because I was like, I can't watch this anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very tired. And yeah. after, it after a solid sleep. sleep, you awake and, and there's still, still more Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy that series. So yeah, so <laughs> the, the fantasy the fantasy genre is not really my thing, so I just had no desire to watch them. And honestly, to this day, I would still not have watched Harry Potter if it wasn't for this podcast. Wow. I have like z- I had zero desire. Yeah, there's a couple of series where we've contemplated doing them for a long time and then the the deciding factor of scheduling them or not scheduling them is often well, we're going to do it eventually. Like this thing is going to keep popping. I think that was what we said when we decided to do it. We're like, well, if we don't schedule to do it now, we're going to we're going to do it in like 2 years or 3 years or 5 years, whatever it is anyway. Yeah. So, might as well get it out of the way. Yeah. And it was Honestly, as we talk uh, nonsense, the, the main reason I even wanted to do the Harry Potter franchise was it would be fun for me to review movies I hadn't seen. Because mm-hmm. I would say a good 90% of the movies we do on this podcast, I've already seen. So that was the that was the big draw. Is that because you're so old? That was harsh. That's part of, that's part of it. <laughs> wow. Okay, to, Damn. Okay, to be fair, we were just talking about age and <laughs> the age gap. Yeah, but I think that was off air, so the people just the people don't know that. The people just think fair? you just ruthlessly Not, tore him apart. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Where's wow. a t- Where's How a unprovoked. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your last episode, Wicked. Okay. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so the one other thing uh, – so obviously he's most known for Hagrid. He actually has a small role in a movie I love called Ocean's Twelve, as this one scene. I think he's one scene. Might have another one. It's his character's name is Matsui. It is a fucking hilarious scene. I've still only seen eleven. Hey? I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a hilarious scene between him, uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon. It is fucking hilarious. It's one scene. I think he might have another one, but that one scene, Chef's Kiss, delightful. Uh, so yes, as before, we'd like to tip our cap to Robbie Coltrane. Thank you for everything you brought. All right, moving on. Let's talk about what we've been watching. We'll start with our guest, Abby. <laughs> She's watched two movies <clears throat> and would like to discuss them. Abby, uh, what movies have you been watching? Do I continue the, like... Punched to might the gut well. and might as well. Yeah. Okay, so Manny, one of his favorite movies. Shut your mouth hole. <laughs> it's one that he talks about all the time. One may call him a super fan over it. I've heard I've heard what that. The, yeah. I've heard that what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy. Is that how you say it? I don't yeah. even know if that's how you say it. No, it's how you say but it. But it Okay, so this has been a movie that's been talked about on the podcast for, or not the podcast, sorry, in our chat for some time. It's always hinted at and joked about. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. It came up as a recommendation on Netflix. I went into it with absolutely zero expectation. I had no idea what the plot line was. I did not know a single thing about this except for Manny hating this movie. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And I really liked it. I thought it was like you're heartless you i would just like to point out How? by the way hold on, hold you, you you know that manny has not actually seen this movie correct? i know okay. but like the fact that you won't even entertain the idea but i also understand because there's a couple people that i've talked to about it after the fact and i'm like don't watch it 
I don't think you would do well in it or don't watch it. I don't think it's your cup of tea, even though I really, really enjoy it. But I don't really want to say much because I don't want to give it away. I I liked going into it, not expecting anything and not knowing anything about it. So it even those, though it was hard. For those, that, <laughs> for those that don't know about Hillbilly Elegy, it's a 2020 film. The plot, an urgent phone call, puts a Yale law student back to his Ohio hometown where he reflects on three generations of family history and his own future. This is directed by Ron Howard, a director that I admire. Most of his films, I, at the at the very least, like a lot. Apollo 13 is a brilliant film. Rush. Yeah, Rush as well. Fan- Under Underrated film. Fantastic filmmaker. Now, this movie was nominated for one Oscar, Best Supporting Actress. Two. What's the other one? Best Supporting Actress for Glenn Close. Didn't yep. win, so she's like 0 for 9. Makeup and hairstyling. Okay. Well, looking at what I can see here, I can see why I got that nomination mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Metascore of 38. 38. Is low. That is the main reason that I never decided. I didn't get around to watching it. Now, with that... Best Supporting Actress nomination, I wanted to try and give this a watch. But all the other podcasts I listened to, all of them, raked this over the coals. And I was like, then what's the point? Now, one of the other reasons that I have no desire to watch this until we have to review the year 2020, which, which thankfully, a long time away. thankfully <laughs> rough math puts it at about 12 years away. <laughs> Give or take, yeah, possibly longer. Is that T Bone won't shut up about it? But you know why T Bone yeah. won't shut up? About oh it, yeah, right? it's because you won't watch it. Yes, if <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest, if T Bone wasn't constantly throwing this in my face, I would have watched it already. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I just don't want to. The other thing is T Bone's recommending it. T Bone has shitty taste. Okay. When it comes to what I like. Our taste in comedy are so vastly different. <laughs> That's true. He is the. Mm, I shouldn't say our, ta- our our I shouldn't say our tastes are so vastly different. The things that he likes, I generally don't. But things I like, he does like as well. One of the many things I love about that man, despite how much I like to throw him under the bus, is that he is open for anything. If I say I'm going to the movies, he'll come. He doesn't even know what I'm going to. He's like, okay, no clue. And then he'll go after. He's like, that was really good. I'm like, yeah, I know. Because I picked it. (laughs) I try my best outside of my, uh, my uh, overwhelming desire to cover a year in film as best I can. So outside of my responsibilities for this podcast even though nobody puts those responsibilities on me except for myself. Yeah, that's right. So, like, as an example, we are doing the 1991 rewatch right now. I am watching a ton of 1991 movies. I'm watching a bunch of 1991 movies that I know are horrible, mm-hmm. and they have been. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to the movie theater, I've done my research. It's pretty rare that I will pick a movie to go to, to the movie theater, and it not be good because I love going to the movie theater. Now, there are times that I've allowed Mushhead to pick a movie to go to the movie theater. How'd that go? Or it was not good. <laughs> or somebody else. And if they fail, if they make me go see a movie, and I'm like, this movie won't be good. And they're like, oh, but I really want to see it. I'm like, okay. And after the movie's over, I'm like, 
you don't get to pick a movie again. I'm not going to movie theater with you if you pick a movie again because you fucking failed me. There's one strike and you're out? One strike and you're out. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, this movie I know that I will end up watching eventually because I will have to because when we cover when we cover 2020, I have now – each year we cover, I try to watch every single film that got at least an Oscar nomination. Mm. I did it last year for 92. It felt pretty good. I'm working on it for 91. But like you're talking about a nomination in the major categories, though, right? All categories. Oh, damn. Every movie that got an Oscar nomination in 1992, I watched, with the exception of documentaries, short film, foreign film, and like, and that's it. Hmm. I watched every. If it got an Oscar nomination in 1992, I've already watched it. And I'm trying to get that done in 91. It's actually a little bit easier in 91. So, Hillbill Elegy. I don't know. People, you like it. Mushhead mm-hmm. likes it. T-Bone likes it. But critics don't. I know. And I think that, like, this movie made me unexpectedly feel things. Like, I didn't think I was going to like it because mm-hmm. of how low it made me feel. But then I liked it. So, it's, like, it felt like a weird roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... When I watch a movie, I usually get into it quite emotionally, so that's why I wasn't positive I was going to like it, but yeah, I did. Did I you, really did you give it a rating? Yeah, I said a five. Holy Whoa. shit. I know. Holy smokes. Um, I know. Any uh, any brief thoughts on uh, whether the <sighs> nomination for Glenn Close is uh, warranted? Yes. It is? Uh, uh, I think so. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A couple I, of standout moments. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll take your word for it. Sam, you haven't watched this yet, have you? I've not. All right. Uh, for I won't rehash everything you said. Largely the same reasons. Um, I am not as big a completionist as you. So yeah. the fact that I may not have seen a movie that received um, a nomination, especially one in a major six category, um, does not affect me in the slightest. I don't. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that thirty-eight meta score. Like, uh, I know that seems like. Uh, elitist maybe to look at um but that's low like that's really low that's really low like the movie that we're talking about today um which is not necessarily a critical darling and we'll get to it of course um has a 52 meta score which is also like not great if i was recommended a movie well when i was going into this movie i saw the meta score i was like "Eh, okay well we're treading treading some tough waters here but maybe maybe i'll enjoy it a 38 is really low i think we've watched worst picture nominee worst picture nominees and worst picture winners that have better meta scores now i'm not i'm not exaggerating i'm pretty sure that's happened so i'm not saying this to like invalidate your opinion or no anything like i didn't this. think so i'm just saying that like when i see that big red box that says 38 on imdb it scares me yeah and which I, is i didn't look at any of that stuff because yeah. i was like i'm just gonna watch it which yep. is which I'm is totally valid yeah. which is yeah awesome and awesome way to go and it makes me wonder if i would have also thought of it differently had i actually looked into yeah. that stuff you know like knowing other people's opinions are not liking it or it wasn't this, very well received like i wonder if i would have been as open to it just not knowing anything about it this is a thing that manny and i talk about often like going into a movie blind as far as i'm concerned is the way to do it yeah. and i don't just mean like not knowing plot details i mean like not knowing who's in it not knowing what it's about not knowing how it's received like mm-hmm. all of those things can and will affect your opinion on a movie yeah. so i and other than amy you- adams yeah. and glenn close that is all that i knew about this movie mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We've like, and we've also had the opposite. Like Sam and I have watched movies in the ninety metascores, which are just garbage, which are just horrible. pure garbage. Yeah, we're we're looking at you, secrets, and secrets lies. and lies, Gosford Park, Gosford Park. Yeah, <laughs> there was another one we added recently. I didn't like Howard's End. Howard's End. I didn't like the Crying Game, which yep. had a metascore in the nineties. It did. Pretty sure. Yeah, I'm gonna say it had ninety. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You gave it a two. I gave it a two. Did not like that movie. Not as bad as Howard's End, but still. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a that's a lot. Uh, so anyway, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, you gave a five. Uh, I did. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm not gonna go back on that. I thought about doing a four. Like I, when I was doing it, I was like, oh, four, five, four, five, four, five. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't. No, I just have, went for it. You have no idea the amount of times I've sat here in this chair and there's a rating <laughs> that I know man is gonna disapprove of, and I'm like. Maybe I should just bump off a star and save myself the argument. But no, you got to be strong. Yeah, I'm strong. Okay. <laughs> It'll be LG5. Uh, yeah. You have one more, right? Yeah. Luckiest Girl Alive. Okay. Another one that I went into not knowing anything about. Um, I actually thought it was a comedy at first. <laughs> so as I was watching it, you I was You went like, into that one blind? Completely blind? Like, uh, mostly blind. Um, like, I think I saw... See on the screen there, it's like 10 seconds into the the intro like or into the trailer that's probably as much as i'd seen about it so i really didn't know any of the plot line or anything like that okay um quick plot synopsis for everyone Uh, a woman in new york who seems to have things under control is faced with a trauma that makes her life unravel yeah um i really liked this movie um i thought that mila kunis did a really great job Mm -hmm. on it um I I think it also helps that I thought it was a comedy before. <laughs> so uh, I think that like had I known uh had I known much more about it, I don't know if I would have again received it very well. Um but I can't remember if I did a rating on this one. I feel like I did. I'm just scrolling through now to see. Um but yeah, I I I liked it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of those ones where I like messaged you guys and I was like, okay, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm going to bed right now. And then I stopped texting you guys and I kept watching it. So like it did grab my attention. Yeah, obviously kept your interest. Yeah. Really yeah. Uh, what platform did you watch this on? Netflix. It's a Netflix film. Netflix movie? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I yeah. think I've, I, I think that's probably why that I, it rings a bell for me. Cause I think Netflix as they do has been shoving this down my throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to get me to watch this i is, do like is that why you watched it abby is it um no i actually watched it because um ashton kutcher had said on like a social media platform like mm. oh my wife is in a new movie and you should watch it all right yeah wow. and and then i saw it obviously everywhere on netflix so um but uh i'm just looking to see mm-hmm are you looking for that, uh, the rating? No, I have my rating here. I just wanted okay. to see what I said about it before. Because I remember this one, too. I was like, I don't really want to see anything because yeah. nobody had seen it yet. Yeah, um, but fun. no, I gave it a four out of five. Okay. Holy shitballs. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, I mean, yeah, we try to keep these as spoiler-free as possible. I mean, Manny and I uh, have one that we want to talk about in a bit that we're definitely going to spoil the shit out of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big, <laughs> because, big. I mean, we've watched it and recommended it so many times. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. I'm a I'm a fan of Mila Kunis. I haven't seen um, Black Swan. Neither have I. But like, I was a I was a massive uh, that '70s show fan back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like back in the early 2000s, I I wanted to be Eric Foreman, and by some accounts, succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I uh, I definitely have a ton of respect for Mila Kunis, especially comedically in that '70s show. Also voices Meg and Family Guy, which is another show I liked when I was an angsty teenager. Yeah, yeah, somebody who thought I was really edgy. You can't handle this sort of offensive humor. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I will say though, without giving away too much, there were some hard scenes to watch. Sure. And so maybe that's a disclaimer to, to some people, but yeah, there was some. You just want to give a little trigger warning? Yeah. I don't like that term, but yes, it is. <laughs> More or less what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Sam. Yeah. What have you been watching? Okay, I'm going to start with the one that we're not going to spoil, and okay. then we're going to get into the one that we are going to spoil. Um, it's Spooktober. It's spooky season. Oh, yes. Gotta watch a couple of horror movies in there. Um, are you a horror movie person? I don't know if we had this I, conversation last I time. I am, yes. You are? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Modern horror, like, like classic sla- uh, uh, slashers, all. or all the all. above? Cool. yeah. Okay. And to be fair, like I, I can sit and watch a movie about like – people getting murdered or like an axe killer or whatever that does not bother me throw in paranormal and i am not okay it's it's funny i'm actually largely the same way and i i should put out even a disclaimer i don't even i don't even believe in ghosts or the paranormal or the supernatural but or anything if it like was that. real yeah if it was real <laughs> it, it scared happened, the shit out of me <laughs> exactly that is the thing is like i can i can defend myself from anything like that's real yeah if if something happened in the paranormal right (laughs) how how do you how do you fight off like haunting or something like that to me is just like oh yeah i had this ex-boyfriend before you get into your movie i had this ex-boyfriend who i was laying in bed beside him and i don't know what it was but i thought to myself if somebody in my life was ever going to be possessed it was you (laughs) and i don't know what i would do and I'm not going to say the person's name, but it was a million and a half yeah. years ago. And I just thought, like, like, sorry to this person, but, like, you might be weak mentally, and this is who they would go after. That's fucking phenomenal. And it scared me. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a red flag. Susceptible to ghosts. Right? Yeah. A huge red flag. It's a red flag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, movie that I watched was 2020's The Invisible Man. When Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. This have you seen this? No. It sounds really stupid. What I just read to you sounds really dumb. Uh, I remember hearing the plot of this movie and hearing that it was getting good reviews and being like, there's no way. This is going to be really bad. Um, it's directed by Lee. I think I went through this last time. I don't know how to say her. Oh, his last name. Excuse me. It's a man. Uh, Wanell. 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 Lee Wanell. Yeah. Um, and stars Elizabeth Moss. Uh, it is an exceptional movie. Uh, I said in the group chat after I watched this that I think we are living in a new golden age of horror, uh, and this film is just further evidence of that. Elizabeth Moss gives a spectacular performance, which was criminally neglected at the Oscars. Correct. Her performance in this is unbelievable. It's absolutely which spectacular. Which I don't know. Like, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Like, this yeah. sort of genre and this sort of movie does not get recognition, especially if you just heard the plot synopsis for this movie for the first time. Uh, the Academy just wouldn't even watch the movie. They would just put it directly in the in the garbage after that. No, thank you. Not watching this one. On to the next one. On to the millionth period piece that I've seen this year. Yeah, it's not clean enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this movie is deep and full of ideas. Uh, it, it's very um, 
meta and very reflective. So in that plot synopsis, uh, a large part of this is about this woman dealing with abuse, dealing with abuse um, and the aftermath of that and the PTSD of that. And that plays out a lot in the uh, in the initial stages of this movie. Um, one of my least favorite horror tropes is the person who keeps getting themselves into trouble. The person who, like, I think I'm just going to walk back into the haunted house. I think that's what would be safest. Maybe it's changed. Yeah, may- maybe Jason Voorhees really did die. I'm just going to peek over the side of it and I'm dead. And, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I hate that trope. One of my favorite things about The Invisible Man is that our main character does everything right she does everything she's supposed to and she still just gets fucked at every turn it's one of the things that makes it so scary is because our main character is very smart and like uh never like is constantly never giving up trying to prove her uh trying to prove that she's being stalked by an invisible person in spite of being labeled as crazy um and this this villain is just constantly outsmarting her and outmaneuvering her and making her life a living hell. Ugh. One of the main, one of the number one things a screenwriter can do is treat your protagonist like garbage. And this person does this, and this movie's fucking awesome. I gave it a five. I gave it a five out of five. This movie's great. This movie is fantastic. It's currently on Netflix, Abby. Okay. Um, I can't recommend this enough for you. If you like horror, then this is this should actually go right to the top of your watch list okay, right now. Okay, so is this like a you're not going to sleep horror or is this like a, it's not going to stay with you after horror because like I, I have no problems like sleeping after this. It's definitely chilling at parts. It's, it's certainly chilling at times, but it's more, um, I don't know, dread. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Like there's, it's not a very like jump scary movie. There's a couple in there really. Um, but it's honestly closer to a thriller or a sci-fi. Okay. Or a slasher, okay, I can sort do of that. thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Oh no, I watched this before I had Letterbox. Mm-hmm. I must really have. okay. This was on my top of 2020 list. Um, oh no, I gave it a four. Yeah, I gave it a four upon first watch. I bumped it to a five on this one. Yeah, you gave it a four, or you gave it a five. Lazanero's given it a four. Rachel's given it a four. Jordan's given it a four. Yeah. There, there's a lot of movies that we watch, um, especially the new ones, where I'm like, oh, I need to maybe give it a second watch before bumping it up, or maybe I need to digest it a little bit more. Uh, this one was one of them where I was like, I think this could be a five. I but think it's if- also a movie about an invisible person, so I'm going to leave it at a four for now. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I bet you if I watch this again, I bet you I'd bump it to a five. Really good. I still think about this movie and how well made it is. Yeah. Especially... If I'm not mistaken, I think the budget is like eight million dollars. Yeah, which uh, the movie looks great. Like the the scenes with like there is an invisible person handling objects at a lot of times yep. in this movie. Seven million dollars. Seven million dollars. There's an invisible person who handles objects at times in these these movies, and it doesn't look cheesy at all. It looks like it looks really convincing actually. Um, the CG in that regard is uh, is pretty good. Um, there was something else I was about to say about this movie that I, that I can't think of, so I'll, I'll I'll just move on for right now. Um, Oh, you know what? I was going to say, uh, I was just going to bring up again the fact that um, even beyond the horror aspect of this movie, I really like the way that it treats this person who's been a victim of abuse. And while just being a good, scary movie, it's also kind of making a point about just how uh, poor a job the justice system is set up. Oh, to, my God. Like, how poorly it's set up to deal with victims of abuse and like how 
as soon as a woman is labeled crazy, like nobody will believe her on anything. And it's like kind of a, a commentary on that sort of thing. So I'll, uh, I'll kind of leave it there for right now and just say that this movie is excellent. And I, it's a blanket recommend. Yeah. A hundred. <laughs> I'll back that up. hundred percent. Okay. I think you'd really like this. Okay. Um, Manny, you said it hops to the top of the watch list. Um, is that above the next movie that we're going to talk about? <laughs> Knowing her taste in movies, yes. Okay. All right. Okay. This should be number two, though. <laughs> <laughs> Manny and I, uh, I think, did you recommend this movie to me for the first time when we watched I it? I did, because it was recommended to me by, by, Adam? by PFG Adam Lesnar. Right, right. Okay. Uh, speaking of movies with an insanely high metascore, um, The Vast of Night which is a pr- Amazon Prime original movie. Um, Manny, are, are you looking at the IMDb page right now? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I was going to ask you to guess the Metascore, but... Oh, uh, damn it! No, it's okay. Metascore of 84. Uh, one night in New Mexico in the late 1950s, a switchboard operator and a radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future forever. Uh, Manny and I are going to spoil this movie, yep. so I'll just maybe give a spoil... Like, I'm actually maybe I'll just give my rating now because uh, because people should watch it. It's a five. This is another one. This came out in 2019, according to IMDb. Although I think that was really just festivals. It's festivals. It's a 2020 film. Yeah. So it this was my was, number four film of that year. Yeah. This was my number eight or so of that year. It skyrocketed up. Uh, both this and Invisible Man for 2020 were fours. Now they're fives. I think the Invisible Man was an honorable mention for me. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think it was. I think I had the Invisible Man above this. I honestly don't know now. This is like, these are both crazy good movies. This is a four. I rated this a four. Mm-hmm. This deserves to be a five. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna spoil the Vast of Night. We're not gonna spoil too much, but there's some seriously incredible things that I want to discuss. So we're gonna spoil shoestring budget. By the way, like what three hundred k. 300k, 200k, something like this that. This movie was made only 300k, and it looks exceptional. So we're going to spoil some aspects. I'm not going to spoil the ending. No. But I want to spoil some scenes of the Vast of Night in three, two, one. I'll go fuck yourself. The absolute incredible confidence that Andrew Patterson has as a director in this film blows my mind. Two things for the confidence that this man has in his script are the first is the first I'd say 15 minutes is just dialogue that has nothing to do with the movie. (laughs) It is all setting up these two characters that you're going to follow for the rest of the film. Everything that they talk about and everything that they do literally carries no weight except that it grows you attached to these two people and these two performances. The camera work in this movie is unbelievable. How he moves the camera through this small New Mexican, is New Mexico? New Mexico, New yeah. Mexican town, around people, into buildings, out of buildings, through windows and stuff like that is mind-blowing. The other aspect that shows the incredible confidence is the phone call Mm -hmm. where you stare at a black screen for what three to five minutes yeah of just all you can you can see nothing and it's just two people talking on a phone yeah and you're fucking riveted there's a there's a phone call uh, there's a there's a scene where somebody calls into a radio station so we so we see a black screen 
of somebody calling into a radio station and telling a story. It's and it's literally it, just it, a black screen. It's really riveting. It's really good. And, you're, <laughs> and you are on the edge of your seat yeah. <laughs> listening to this man tell his story yeah. about what he thinks is going on. Cool. And you're just like, holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck, There's holy also, fuck. Uh, like, so the uh, the two main cast members in this movie, I don't have the actors' names right now. I, I got know. it for you. Yeah. It's Sierra McCormick and Jake Hurwitz. Right. So um, they're... Far and away, they have the most dialogue in this movie. Um, Sierra McCormick, specifically, is an unknown. She was probably... She looks like she was probably like 14, 15 at the time this movie was shot, I would guess. Um, She looks that. I bet you she's not. Yeah. Okay. Her character is certainly supposed to be like 14, 15 years old uh, in this film. So she's currently 25. Currently 25. Okay. So she would have been like in her early 20s. Yeah. Okay. Um, At any rate, there's another scene different from the other one that we talked about she's a switchboard operator and she's controlling the calls that are going in and out of this radio station um as people are calling in trying to decipher what this frequency is and there's like a 10 minute uninterrupted take of her just like being creeped out by a bunch of eerie phone calls and trying to phone other people uh trying to figure out what's going on it's just camera on her for like 10 minutes straight and she just kind of goes and it's it's honestly incredible it's it's really really well done yeah this movie is so incredibly well written and well acted by the two leads not like award-worthy performances but they're so riveting and so captivating and these characters are so perfectly made and that's what that first 15 minutes of work like when i was watching it after adam recommended it that's why adam is now allowed to recommend another movie (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah. Is she on American Horror Story? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I was watching it. I was like, I'm. I'm like, this is eerily captivating. I'm like, but what the fuck is this movie about? Mm-hmm. And then when it kicks in, <sighs> yeah, this is one I went into blind. This is one you texted me. I I don't think we even talked about it on air. I think you texted me. You're like, Sam. Before the next time we record, Vast of Night, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Watch it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Easy. Done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you like – well, if, if, if anybody out there likes science fiction, this should be at the top of your watch list. Mm-hmm. If you like mysteries, this should be at the top of your watch list. This movie is a lot of fun. It is so well done and is just – eerily watchable Mm -hmm. can can i give you an analogy for the type of performance we have in this movie yeah it's not uh like you say it's not very flashy it's it reminds me a lot of spotlight the performances there (sighs) where everybody's just doing a good job everybody's convincing and in character and when a piece of information is dropped there's just like a beat everybody just takes a second and reacts to it and processes it internally and is looking like they're trying not to freak out and then just back to being in character that's kind of what it reminds me of oh yeah this movie is phenomenal cool yeah yeah vast nights of five for me sound like something you might be interested in abby i think so wicked yeah i really hope you check it out definitely i think you should watch invisible man first okay i think knowing that's on that's on netflix too get getting getting a taste of what kind of movies you like i think the invisible man is something you'd really really like that you should watch for sure okay and then the vast night should be up there as well i think okay it's very it's very sci-fi yeah and like i said I, I've never told anybody that, like, if when they watch The Fast Night, but, like, get past, like, the first 20. Because the first, 
like I said, the first 10 to 15 minutes is just them setting up yeah. those two characters. It's not bad. I really enjoy the first 20 minutes it, of the it's, movie. It's just not what the movie is. The, the first, yeah, it's not what the movie is. It's very similar, not to the same level, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very similar to the opening of The Social Network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just two characters talking, and you're just like, these people are really good. And it just doesn't slow down. Can I can I tell you a part in the Vast of Night that I hadn't fully appreciated last few times that uh, <laughs> that I really did this time? Yeah, it was um, after they leave the old woman's house, and uh, Ev- Everett is the character's name, I think. Yeah, Everett is visibly shaken yeah. by what has gone down That's in that house. Another great and, scene. And Holy fuck! As they leave the house, as he's just like clearly trying to remain calm, he just says to Sierra McCormick's character. You know, Faye, I don't think there's anything going on. <laughs> it's just like, I don't, I don't think there's anything weird happening. It's fine. <laughs> just trying to convince himself. Um, the other, the one other aspect that I always like to point out, I, I did talk about the camera work. There is this incredible tracking shot that goes through basically the entire city. Mm-hmm. It shows you where everything is in the small town. It leaves the radio station because this is all, it, this all happens in one night. And there's a local basketball high school. I think high it's a school? high school basketball. High school. Team, yeah. it, it takes you from that radio station into the basketball game, up to the crowd, through a window, down. Takes you through this entire city in one shot. Wow. The, the whole kind of setting of the movie is it's a tiny, tiny little New Mexico town, um, and small enough where the entire population of the town essentially is at this one high school basketball game. Right. Except for this one radio host who has nobody listening to him essentially because the whole time's the game. And the switchboard operator on the phone who's passing him calls. Yeah. And it's and eerie shit starts to happen as this town is like empty. Yeah. It's very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Five for you. Four for me. Yeah. Probably a five. <laughs> <laughs> Two great movies. Yeah. And Hillbilly Elegy. Okay. <laughs> And luckiest girl alive. Right, Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, The Vast of Night was a movie that I wanted to talk about as well. We already did. So the only other thing I want to talk about is I actually watched this. I think it's a four four or six-part documentary. It's called Light and Magic. It's about the history of the industrial light and magic. Um, the, uh, the special effects company that George Lucas founded. And if you like knowing uh, – what's the – What's the term? Uh, if you like knowing how the the glass is made? No, what's that? Oh, yeah, what is that? Uh, like, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't If you that. like to take a peek behind the curtain on how movies are made and how special effects are made, this is an incredible do- documentary. It really, as it usually does, it really focuses on how they made Star Wars. Knowing how the sausage gets made. Thank you. That's it. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, this was uh, a lot of fun because it, I've watched a lot of documentaries on the making of Star Wars and all the innovations that they did. This dives even deeper into that. Basically, the f- I think almost the first two episodes are about the making of Star Wars. And it's really fun seeing how these people innovated and created all the special effects that we now basically just take for granted. The last four episodes are a little bit more of a breakdown on... The trend, basically, the transition from practical to CGI, mm-hmm. and it's really kind of fascinating if you're into the making of movies. If you're not, don't bother. This will be way too dry because it's a lot of technical talk and a lot of talk about how they made cameras, how they made, uh, how they made the Pixar computer, which got 
ended up transforming into the Pixar company, mm-hmm. uh, all this kind of stuff. So for super nerdy people that are interested in how movies and how special effects are made, this would be inc- – this was jaw-dropping. But if that doesn't interest you, avoid this like the plague. Yeah. There, probably, there <laughs> probably wouldn't be any movie nerds listening to this podcast. No. Yeah, no. Probably not the target uh, demo. It is called Light Magic. It is on Disney+. Plus. I, I'm pretty sure it's six episodes. Each one is about an hour. Uh, and it dives deep. You learn some pretty cool stuff and some really fun and interesting tidbits uh, on um, on the making of a lot of movies that everybody loves. And so I had a great time. Uh, I gave Light and Magic, even though it's not technically a film, I still rated it. It's a four out of five. All right. Awesome. That's what we've been watching. Let's get into the movie. Part two of our 1991 retrospective miniseries. The film we're reviewing this week is Hook. Released December 11th, 1991. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, written by James Hart and Malia Marmo. Based off the J.M. Barry book. Starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, and Julia Roberts. Has a meta score of 52. That hurts. Uh, a letterbox <laughs> score of 3.3. Not bad. Not bad. It's pretty good. Uh, it won zero Oscars. But it got nominated for five. Uh, best art direction, set decoration, best costume design, best visual effects, best makeup, and best original song, When You're Alone. It had a budget of $70 million. It grossed 119 in the U.S. and 300 worldwide. The plot? When Captain James Hook kidnaps his children, an adult Peter Pan must return to Neverland and reclaim his youthful spirit in order to challenge his old enemy. Sam? Why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts on Hook and let us know if you'd seen this film prior to watching it for this episode. Yeah, so um, this is the kind of movie I felt like I had seen on TV a little bit as a kid. Um, <clears throat> it's it's one in a long line, actually, on this podcast where going into the episode, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen this movie. And then as I'm watching it, I'm like, I definitely have not. Um, I certainly recognized a couple of scenes from it. But for all intents and purposes, this was uh, my first watch my first real watch um steven spielberg is obviously one of the finest filmmakers of all time he's one of the greatest living artists in his respective field he does have weaknesses one of said weaknesses is which i'm not the first person to comment this is over sentimentality oh yes he really has a propensity to really um up the cheese factor he has a propensity to really get caught up in his own sentimental values. Uh, whether you like that or you don't is a matter of opinion. This movie is full of cheese. <laughs> this is a very overly sentimental movie. This is a, uh, has a lot of cliche um, 90s sentimentality. I was just like, a busy working dad has to learn to love his kids again. And I'm a huge hypocrite because one of my favorite movies of all time is Liar Liar. One of my favorite comedies of all time is Liar Liar. And that's literally just the plot to it. Um, so, so I am a bit of a hypocrite. But this is this is certainly a very sentimental movie. And again, whether you like that or not is your call. Um, it's still Spielberg. It's insanely well-crafted. It is a little overlong, admittedly, at two hours, 20 minutes-ish. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot how long it was. Yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> shockingly uh, long movie given the, the subject matter. Um, but it it's very well-crafted and well-directed. Um, the art decoration, the sets, the costumes, he clearly poured a ton of the movie's massive budget into those sorts of things. The movie looks really good, I think, for the most part. Even 
special effects, which have a tendency to look dated, for the most part, look pretty good, mm -hmm. I think, with maybe a couple of exceptions in there. Um, one of the things that's not clear to me is why this movie is called Hook, why they decided to go with that as the title. It's very clearly not about Captain Hook. Like, it's very clearly about Peter Pan. I'm not saying they call it Pan, but, like, I don't know. It feels like there could have been a, a better title for this movie. I was very confused. I was expecting a lot more of a, a look into... Uh, Captain Hook, but I guess not. Um, Robin Williams is one of the greatest comedic, one of the one of the most accomplished actors at doing both, at doing both the comedic and the dramatic. I agree. One of the most accomplished, one of the only comedians who went down the dramatic acting route to the uh, to the success rate that he had. Uh, in my opinion, not one of his finest. Uh, it felt like Spielberg didn't really know how to utilize the tool that he had. Uh, this is two years prior to Mrs. Doubtfire coming out. Uh, so it felt like the formula didn't really exist yet. Maybe, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But um, not one of his finest. Not bad, just I was expecting a little bit more of the Robin Williams razzle-dazzle. It also probably doesn't help that um, the character traits that his style of performance would really lend themselves to don't really come out until like the two hour mark of the movie so for the most part he's just this like uh, stuffy businessman who doesn't know the true meaning of being a dad or whatever um anyway I'll, I'll kind of just leave it right there for now um it's very long and sentimental but it's still spielberg had a great time um i did not grow up with this movie and i actually didn't even really grow up with peter pan like the disney movie uh, so I don't actually have that deep and emotional connection to this movie. I can totally see how somebody who did grow up with these characters would just be in love with it. Didn't really strike me, but I also didn't hate it. It's just, it's just a kid's movie. I don't know. <laughs> and it's, it's a kid's movie made by one of the greats. So, you know, there's still some film stuff to appreciate in there. Awesome. <laughs> You're a hard man to read, Manny. I know. <laughs> Look at that. His I face didn't move the, the entire I time know. I said that. That was I amazing. <laughs> Abby, this is one of your favorite movies. Oh, I love this movie so much. Share with much. us your spoiler-free thoughts. Okay. Um, so this is a movie for me that was from my childhood. Um, I grew up with all of the Disney movies and especially Peter Pan. And so seeing this as a kid, it was just – it was something that our family had put on. Um, I don't know if consistently or often, but it is one that our family got together and watch, uh, or watched. Mm -hmm. Um, even speaking to my siblings, like this is one that just stands out to us. Uh, Robin Williams was huge in our family as well. So just having him in this movie was amazing. Um, I, <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to describe, but, um, I love, I do love everything about this movie. I love that it took so long for him to become a kid again. I love that when he becomes a kid, you know, or well, not becomes a kid, but you know, I love when he starts to become Robin Williams as a character and his like lovey, like fun self that it's, uh, yeah, sorry. I just, I'm going off on a tangent and like kind of not spoiler free, yeah, we, but spoiler free. We would never, free. We would never go on, on <laughs> yeah. tangent here. None, um, none of that allowed. I don't remember the first time that I watched it, but I remember watching it forever. Um, Dustin Hoffman, amazing. So brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I'm i just rambling. I just, I love it. I just love this movie. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Manny, what did you think of Hook? Going into this movie, I was dreading it. Uh, I hated this movie as a as a kid. 
I. How old have you been in '91? Like preteen? Sixteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sixteen. Didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Rarely watched it. Actively disliked this movie. It's probably been close to twenty years, if not longer, since I watched this. For those that don't listen to the show very often, uh, I'm a Spielberg whore. Mm-hmm. I love the man, and I love pretty much everything he's ever done. The pretty much alluding to the BFG. The BFG is his only movie of his that I actively dislike. This would be probably second. So when I put this on, I was nervous. <clears throat> and then I was also nervous because I know how much Abby loves this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that we disagreed on a movie, though. That's no, true. It won't be the last. Yeah. I had a good time with this movie. This movie was better than I remembered. By That's a lot. Good. By a lot. <laughs> uh, I do agree that uh, Robin Williams is a little miscast only because the majority of the film, you don't get to utilize the tools that he's best for. Once spoilers <laughs> once he becomes pan again oh my god joker <laughs> we get to see the actual reason that he would be cast in this role totally the problem is is it happens so deep into the movie that we don't get enough of it the one example i want to give it's not a spoiler but when he's after he's kind of rediscovered being pan and he's talking to tinkerbell in her house and he's kind of almost forgotten that he's a dad, it's really adorable. Mm -hmm. And you see here why Robin Williams is perfectly cast for this role. It's just that he's cast, he's perfectly cast for Peter Pan. He's not great as Peter Banning. Mm. And it's, you're just, all all you're doing is just sitting there waiting for him to come out and do the Robin Williams stuff that we all love. So I don't think it's bad casting. It's just, it's unfortunate that we don't get to see as much of the Robin Williams, for lack of a better word, shtick that we all love. I was very nervous, mostly, about Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. I remember hating everything about his performance. And that is not true. He's fucking awesome, man. He is. <laughs> He's like the, one of the best. He is absolutely unbelievable in this role, uh, which we'll get into, obviously, later on. Uh, Other than that, everything you said, the technical aspects of this film are great. The sets were mind-blowing. I actually kind of forgot how good they were. Uh, It's it's a fucking Spielberg film, so it's visually magnificent. I'll also just point out, while we're in non-spoiler as well, Spielberg famously does not like this movie. Nope. No. Um, With, uh, I'm sure we'll probably, you may have had this written down for trivia, but feels natural to just bring up here. Mm -hmm. He famously has not liked this movie until Robin Williams passing. I I did not know that him and Robin Williams were like best friends in real life. Because of this movie. Because of this movie. And Spielberg has said he has, uh, he has tried watching this movie again since Robin Williams passing. Before he didn't like it because he just didn't like it. He wasn't proud of it. Now he can't watch it because he says he he cries when he watches it. Yeah, but you know what? It, it doesn't surprise me that this is one of his least liked, or it is his least liked movie because, um, as you guys have sort of alluded to, children and 
like young adults seem to gravitate towards this more than adults do and it's probably because of at the time the Disney movies and the stories that were going on and you know it is a childhood story mm-hmm. so I can see why he didn't really care for it it's not really like it's adult content but it's really not yeah that that does make sense like but the thing that is kind of confusing about that though is that he keeps going back to kids stories right like yeah, like fair. the bfg came out probably like in the sometime in the teens i would imagine mm-hmm. um and he also did i think tintin uh mm-hmm. is also his so like yep. he has other kids stories but mm-hmm. I, I do see what you're saying that it's you know it, it's about maintaining that childhood innocence um so yeah maybe 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 not but yeah it's a, it's a it was a bit of a strange decision to see this in his filmography like Two years after this, he writes sh- or he directs Schindler's List, which is like completely the opposite direction uh, of this. Um, so yeah, what a strange filmography Steven Spielberg has. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Holocaust film, Cold War film, uh, Adventures of Tintin. It's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we spoil? Start to spoil this movie? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Did you want to take us in the spoilers? No. No? <laughs> no. I'll take us in the I spoilers. messed it up last time. I'll mess it up this time. Right. Spoilers for Hook in three, two, one. Uh, go fuck yourselves. For those that are maybe tuning in for the first time in a while, uh, they might not know that the podcast format has changed. Yep. Uh, so we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. So just sit down, relax, and enjoy it. We're going to talk about some notable scenes. Uh, Sam. Why don't you pick a scene for us to discuss and break down? Uh, yeah, one of the first ones that really jumped out to me, uh, especially in a positive way, uh, was in the beginning scenes. While while I think we all agree that uh, the later scenes of the movie with uh, Robin Williams discovering himself a- as Pan mm-hmm. are, are some of the highlights of the movie. Um, one of the early scenes that stood out to me was uh, Moira, his wife, uh, chastising him for not uh, not really fully understanding the period of life that they're in mm-hmm. and uh monologuing about how short childhood really is and how if he's not careful he's gonna miss the entire thing that was one of the first moments in the movie where um i i was kind of being cynical about it before like a cheesy 90s cliche plot that was one of the first moments though where i was like okay there's there's actually some heart here and i, I can i can get on board they're standing by the window yes yes correct i remember that yeah, because uh, this also, obviously, uh, this is the first time I've watched this movie since having a kid. Oh mm. yeah, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that this movie resonates a little bit more. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, that's I I like that scene. Uh, I like what she says there. I think she talks about, uh, if I'm off the top of my head, uh, she talks about how he needs to realize that right now, this time in their kids' lives they want their parents to be a part of their life and very soon they will no longer want that and you'll be the one clamoring for their attention i think is a, a rough paraphrase soon jack may not even want you to come to his games we have a few special years with our children when they're the ones that want us around after that you're going to be running after them for a bit of attention yep. it's so fast and after a few years it's over great quote mm-hmm. uh abby your thoughts on that scene i think that it's such a funny scene for a Peter Pan story because the whole purpose of Peter Pan is to not be with his family and mm-hmm. his parents. Like they don't exactly, I, I know that they try to use like in Peter Pan, Wendy as their mother figure, but really it's about not going home and not growing up and staying a child forever. So it's funny that they're talking about how 
you know, the kids are going to grow up and this is the only time that they want to be with them. And yet there's this whole other world that he came from where they didn't want to be around parents. Yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah. That's that's uh, actually a good point. Um, actually, I should probably ask you, um, maybe you alluded to this earlier when we were talking about this. Do you have a connection to the Disney film at all? Yes. Yeah, you do? Yeah. Okay. You watch that a lot as a, as a yeah. kid as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I definitely did not. But... Have you seen it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I have, but you know, years, years and years ago. You almost need to watch it before watching this because there are, I think, there are small points mm-hmm. in Peter Pan that you should probably know about or it, remember. Admittedly, <laughs> there were a couple, there were a couple of lines and a couple of plot points where I was like, I bet that's an allusion to Peter Pan that I forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I do kind of wish I had rewatched the original Peter Pan before, but alas, I did not. Abby, what scene would you like to discuss? Okay, I'm going later into the movie. That's fair. And it is one I dislike. Ooh, okay. I I hate the scene where Tinkerbell becomes big. I hate that scene so much. Oh, I like it. Is that, I, is that where they kiss as well? Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I I hate that scene. I do. Um I mean, we know about we know about Tinkerbell's love for Peter Pan. We know that she has pined over him her entire existence. Yep. I just didn't think that that in a movie that is two hours and 21 minutes or whatever it is, I just feel like you could have taken that scene out, shortened it down to the points that we need to get out of this and move forward. Yeah, I I think when when talking about a movie, it's not it's not enough as a criticism to just say this movie was long because plenty of good movies are long, like Return of the King, for instance. Um, (laughs) Right by his head. Um, Uh, but yeah, it, you, it's not enough to just say a movie's long. You actually need to like point out to things that you can cut because sometimes you just need everything. Uh, you don't need everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. The, this scene is a great example of something that is, uh, a, as it was happening, I'm like, I don't know why we're talking about this right now. I don't know why we're in this scene right now. This is totally not moving our plot forward and is kind of dragging it to a halt. I, I didn't get it. I'm with you as well. I don't think that that scene was necessary. I think Tink growing up into a human-sized person is almost a betrayal of character. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about that scene? Nope. All right. My scene I'm going to pick to start off is when Peter meets the Lost Boys. He has arrived on the island. He is still Peter Banning, still wondering where uh, an adult is. This is where we meet Rufio, there is a very fun chase scene, and it's inventive. This set is incredible. I'm actually surprised that watching this as a 16-year-old boy, I didn't like this more because this is like every boy's wet dream <laughs> to live with a bunch of other dudes, have nothing but fun, no parents, and do whatever you want. It looked fantastic. Like, you could skateboard everywhere you went. I was going to say, the skateboarding was a little cringy. It came off as a little as a little dated. Just, I don't know. It wasn't dated in 91. Well, it came off as dated now. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, 30, it's, 30 years, it's 30 years later. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, so it was, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, one of the things I always, one of the things I remember enjoying or that stuck out to me uh, at the time uh, and it's become a lot more prevalent now. Uh, is that I like, even though I'm not the same, uh, Rufio wasn't white. 
Mm-hmm. It's a very a lot of a lot of black lost boys. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people of color, a lot of children of color in the Lost Boys. Uh, it's one of the things that I always remembered, and I always felt I always had this little bit of enjoyment of seeing that. Mm. For you, for those that don't know, I am half not white. Uh, I'm half First Nations. So anytime I see a character on screen uh, at that time in in the in the 80s and early 90s, when I saw someone of color, it was refreshing and nice. And so I loved that uh, Rufio wasn't white mm. at that time. And now I look when I watch this again, I just I was just reminded, I'm like, oh, it's nice that there's a person of color was, in, a, in a major was role. Rufio white in the Disney version or does this character exist in the Disney version? No. It doesn't exist. But okay. it is a, a nice segue from Peter Pan to <laughs> hook because it is so inappropriately the... racist. What, whatever I are would... you speaking of? Yeah. yeah, Manny, what are you talking yeah. about? There's plenty of representation in the original <laughs> Peter Pan. Uh, God. So it is Sorry. nice to see. <laughs> it is nice to move forward from that, especially in the 90s, to yes. be, you know. <laughs> yeah. The rep- ah, the, what a different time. The, the representation 50s. of my people <laughs> in the in the, the animated version of Peter Pan is, is rough. Yeah. And I remember... I remember watching that for the first time with Maya when she was like two. Oh gosh! And I was like, "Oh my <laughs> Jesus!" Yeah. I'm like, "I don't know what to do." I'm like, "Well, whatever." I wonder if there's anyone listening to this who hasn't watched the old Peter Pan since they were a kid, and it's just like, "Oh, maybe I'm gonna go back and revisit it." Nothing could possibly oh. have aged horribly in that movie. Not a single thing. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. Not a single red thing. Yeah. The last part uh, of this scene, uh, it's it's very ending. It probably. Uh, definitely dives into the cheesy aspect that you're talking about, but it actually really hit me uh, almost to the point of crying, but it got close uh, is when pockets uh, finds Peter by touching his face and he goes, Oh, there you are, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Abby's almost crying. I uh, was crying. <laughs> like uh, in, when watching. <laughs> again, you just, while Steven drips and oozes sentimentality in his films, he makes it work. Mm-hmm. And this scene really worked. That little boy nails that line, the way that Steven Spielberg films it, the way that the score is hitting. Everything he does hits perfectly. It hit all my emotions. And like I said, it almost made me cry while watching it. Uh, it's perfectly said, perfectly acted. Um, absolutely just it it nailed it for me abby yeah i i agree um i think too even like not just the sentiment of him like seeing peter for the first time peter pan but then like feeling confident enough to stand up to rufio it's like you know when they kind of get into that banter back and forth i it made me wonder like did any of the Lost Boys ever stand up to Rufio, or was he just like a the unquestioned right? Dictator, yeah. yeah, like it was just like I'm seeing this. Believe me, and I believe in you. You need to believe in you. You know, like it, it's a really powerful moment. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Sammy, uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to to add necessarily. You guys uh, basically nailed it, but uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a, a pretty darn good scene. Awesome. Why don't you pick the next scene for us to discuss? Yeah, um, 
I think I'll probably go with this one. Um, just something to showcase the technical prowess of Steven Spielberg. One of the first moments um, where I really recognize, like, even though we're, we're in cheese land right in the, in the beginning of the movie, like when this scene came up, I really recognize that we're actually in a Spielberg movie. And that is um, the abduction of the children. Uh, when we see uh, the green light pouring in through the windows, uh, the the gash carved into the wall of mm. his hook hand when, dragging P- when along. Peter and Moira get home yeah or... exactly yeah um but really like that initial abduction all like all the light pouring through the windows is so quintessential Spielberg yep. he loves to have just huge floodlights yes he does coming through I wonder how many bulbs that man has gone through in his career because it's just a lot um the practical effect of the chandeliers spinning and the and the blankets being dragged off the bed all of that as it was going on I'm like okay now we're like this is a Spielberg movie now and I, I felt a lot more at home and my guard kind of lowered and my cynicism vanished (laughs) momentarily (laughs) and then later i receded back into my my scoffing teenage persona uh but yeah i I thought the uh the arrival of of hook was uh really well realized excellent Mm -hmm. abby yeah i don't have much to add to that i think that was like perfect (laughs) you should see how much abby's beaming right now she has the hugest smile on her face i agree with you i i love obviously I've, I've stated numerous times I'm a big fan of practical effects mm-hmm. uh, this is really well crafted I love the amount of dread that you get just from the aftermath of Hook's arrival you haven't met him yet you haven't seen him yet but the amount of damage that he is uh, given to this home is apparent which leads us to an aspect of filmmaking that Sam and I both love and that is the setup and build up of the reveal of a character mm-hmm. uh, and this helps towards that Totally. Abby, what do you got next? Okay, well, mine was going to be the reveal. Nice. (laughs) I love that scene so much. I love when, like, Pan comes in and he's dressed up and, like, Tink is in his hat and is like, okay, this is how you be a pirate. And then it, it goes to, like, Smee's introduction of him and the, like, dialogue that he has and i love that scene Mm -hmm. so much even just down to like when the carpet doesn't come out on on the stairs and he's like where's the carpet smee like just everything about that is that a practical effect too by the way the carpet coming out that looks really good yeah yeah it's practical Mm -hmm. yeah i love that scene (laughs) yeah the introduction of hook is fantastic uh smee building him up uh and actually again spielberg the absolute fucking genius he is he gets us he builds towards the whole reveal of hook because when smee introduces him the door opens and the first thing we see is his hook Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i love that it's twisting to the to the cheers of his name yeah hook hook yeah he's like conducting the crowd almost like conducting uh and then you get uh an over-the-shoulder shot so we still haven't seen his face and then smee comes to the side and Hook turns, and you only get a profile mm-hmm. of him, and he says something, and then he finally turns to reveal Dustin Hoffman in all his glory as Captain James Hook. Mm-hmm. It is a brilliant introduction to a character, and now that we have Hook on screen, we are just delighted with Dustin Hoffman's performance. Yeah. Um, some uh, Another Spielberg uh, signature of sorts is uh, the introduction uh, of a character by 
an aspect of them or by like an accessory yeah uh, so like another example i throw it often is you see indiana jones's whip before you see him in raiders you see um the keys on the character keys in et yeah totally exactly yeah, yeah. He, he loves to introduce these characters by an accessory and of course what more iconic piece of captain hook can you can you put than the than the actual hook uh yeah this this introduction of him is is really uh bone chilling uh, which is a weird word maybe to use for a kid's movie. Um, the introduction by Smee, who I think is Bob Hoskins, yeah. is that yeah. correct? Great, great role, uh, great casting. Uh, the whole monologue of, he's so deep, he's unfathomable. Uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, one of the reasons when I asked you uh, what you were on for last time, uh, and you said A Knight's Tale, this reminds me so much of the introduction totally. for uh, Sir Ulrich von, uh, from, von Lichtenstein. Yeah. Von Lichtenstein. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me very much of, uh, of uh, Paul Bettany's uh, introduction in that movie. So um, I actually had that written down, that this reminded me a lot of A Knight's Tale, um, which is just a funny connection. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I, this is a great scene as well. Awesome. Uh, my turn? Yeah. Yeah, my turn. I'm going to go with uh, the dinner. Uh, basically, four, three things I really liked about this. Uh, the insult battle between Rufio and Peter. Mm -hmm. The score by John Williams in here is really good. And, of course, uh, the food fight, mm -hmm. where he finally learns to uh, use his imagination. I really enjoy this scene. I know that as a 16 year old boy i really like this scene because it's a fucking food fight mm -hmm. i've never had a real food fight i don't think i have either i don't think i have either yeah i would love to <laughs> <laughs> but as an adult that's a lot of money yeah totally yeah, especially today <laughs> yeah so i don't think it's happening anytime you soon have a food fight it better be with some fucking imaginary food tell you. Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. um but i i like this uh, the Back and forth between Rufio and Peter is really well done. We're starting to get the glimpse of the Robin Williams we want to see. Um, and as obviously that is the the emergence of Peter Pan from Peter Banning. Uh, so I really enjoyed this this dinner scene. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. The I don't know what it was about it. The insult battle didn't really do it for me that much. Um Especially, like, Rufio's dialogue comes off as very childish, which is a stupid complaint for a kid's movie, I know, but I couldn't help but just feel it. It just felt a little bit out of place. Um, Robin Williams' responses, on the other hand, uh, some of them were pretty good. Him, him calling him a math tutor, for some reason, uh, tickled my funny bone. I can't really explain why, but uh, the insults were kind of hit and miss, I guess, uh, for me. Um, the realization and the character moment for Peter... Um, when the food appears in the bowls is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. It's a really good way of illustrating um, this character moment for him. And uh, that, that I did think was pretty cool. Awesome. Abby? Yeah. The only thing that I can say, well, one of the only things that I can say um, absent what you guys said is I liked that the food wasn't real food. Mm -hmm. Like it was imaginary. Like it, it, I liked that it, it sort of resembled real food, but it was not. Yeah, it was yeah. I very loved that. Hyper colorful. And, I loved yeah. that. I mm -hmm. just thought that like you really get to see the change between Peter Banning's lack of imagination and Peter Pan's potential imagination. Yep. Yeah, I loved that. Awesome, mm -hmm. Sam. What scene do you want to discuss? 
Um, let us see. I think we're probably going to talk about the other two that I have on here anyway. So I'm just going to go with uh, the one right before Hook's introduction when uh, Peter is kind of being incognito, uh, like in the pirates, um, the dock, yep. I guess. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me about it is, again, it's Steven Spielberg. So um, for all the flaws that this movie has, uh, he's still excellent at directing action. Mm. Um and it was here where we see him start to interact with Tinkerbell, not the Julia Roberts Tinkerbell, but like the little, um, the little ball of light. Yep. Uh, it became really apparent how good he was at eyelines. Yes. Because a lot of the times mm. he's interacting, or Robin Williams is interacting with something that isn't there. Um, and it's really difficult uh, to get your actors to look exactly where they need to look when they're looking at nothing. Do you want to know a bad example that has always stood out for me? What's that? Is the introduction of Jar Jar Binks. Yes, that's when, exactly right. When you, it's Ewan McGregor especially can't get the eyeline right. Mm -hmm. He's not looking properly at Jar Jar Binks, and it always bothers me. Yep. Um, it not throws the whole film. It's in that introduction when they first land on that planet, they basically trip over him. Yeah. A, a good example of it is a movie that I actually haven't seen but often gets uh, – thrown around for this example is who framed roger rabbit oh. uh, so it's, it's one of the things that makes that movie so timeless it is unbelievable yeah, i think i think, I I think you it. would love, i think i would too it's on my watch list love that movie yeah. i think so too so, so anyway it's one of the first things i noticed about this scene the the action looks really good and the eye lines are like spot on it's, it's it's one of those small details that like a new director would probably miss but a master like spielberg is gonna nail every time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. abby <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I have to stop following you because, I, like, yeah, you. Yeah, I keep picking small details as well. There's nothing really to expand on. No, on that, but yeah. yeah, it's just a well-directed action scene, and uh, and you know, a, a detail that I noticed. Perfect. Yeah. Abby. No. Next oh, scene. Scene. Yeah. Um, it is when. Oh, let me see. I just want to make sure that I am not. Mm... Okay, when Thudbutt gives Toodles mar marbles back. Interesting choice. Yeah, and it's more of the dialogue between him and Peter Pan um, because it's one look at a lost boy who holds on to his mother so much. His mother is his happy thought. And when you talk about Peter Pan, he doesn't remember his mother. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that that was such an interesting dynamic between the two. It's like you have somebody who can't find his happy thoughts is – you know, he's coming from this adult world and he sort of has a, a look into it a little bit when Toodles is looking for his marbles. And then here you have the marbles, which is obviously his happy thought. And then you get into this character who is just he's just so genuine about thinking about his mother. And I mean, being a, a mom myself, I think now that is just like hitting like so close to home now. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Awesome. Yeah. What an interesting choice. Well done. Yeah, I'll admit, uh, it wasn't really a standout scene for me, but I, I love your I love your pick of it. It's, me too. Yeah. I love Super it. Super cool. Nice. Uh, my last pick, we'll continue on, though. This is the last scene I want to discuss, uh, is the battle on the ship at the end. You touched on it before. Spielberg is a master of action, mm -hmm. and... It's one of the things that you and I discuss often when it comes to action scenes, spatial geography. Mm -hmm. We know where everybody is at all times. We know where everything is happening, and it's not this big mess. He does a really great job of 
letting us know what's going on in the proper way. Everyone's where they should be in relation to one another and two opposing sides. A lot of fun. Uh, this is like a, a kid's dream come true with the egg shooter, the marble shooter. <laughs> um, Very creative weapons. In yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, a couple scenes. Uh, Thudbutt becoming a human bowling ball. Thudbutt using his weight to make the planks hit people. <laughs> yeah, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, it's this is this is a a, a kid's action scene come true, mm-hmm. and there's a really great scene with Rufio versus Hook uh, that as it was happening, that's when I remembered that Rufio dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, they're going to kill a kid in the yeah. kid's movie. Uh, I, I love this entire scene. Uh, this this battle is great. Uh, Rufio's death did not affect me. Oh, it didn't at aff- all. It, it's it not did- a, it's, I honestly think not very well acted. And the, the line that he says I also I found it pretty cheap. I he's like oh, I can't remember the exact words. Like I just wish that I had a dad or something yep, like that. I wish I had like, a dad like you. Like oh yeah. uh, th- like thanks for wrapping up our thematic point and like and convincing our our child actor to go back to to Peter. It's just like a little too convenient. Yep. For the character, I don't know. I I liked almost the entire scene, and then that specific moment really didn't work. I agree. The, uh, like yeah. that that. Did not hit me emotionally. Yeah. I just forgot that Rufio dies. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And I was totally. like, and again, I was like, they're gonna kill a kid <laughs> in a kids movie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, More yeah. of that. More killing kids. Yeah, I'm all for killing kids. Yeah. <laughs> Manny Manuel, 2022. <laughs> I really want somebody to just like cut that for like a promo or Perfect. something. Yeah, it's gonna uh, happen. Yeah, it's incredibly inventive. It's really well done. It's Spielberg basically just showing off yet again um yeah i i really enjoyed this scene mm. sam what do you got next uh yeah so that was one of the two uh that i had remaining the only other one that i had uh, is one i don't know if it's entirely positive it's partially positive the scene where hook decides to turn the children uh where he has the brilliant idea but really it's me who has the brilliant idea to make the kids love him mm-hmm. i can't tell if i love this scene or not because it's just first of all this whole side plot i just cut it just the whole side plot of hook trying to turn the kids i it does not hold any emotional weight agreed it is like if you cut this and the tinkerbell and peter pan stuff we're at a cool hour 45 and this movie is way brisker it's, it's way better um but for some reason, something about this specific scene really tickled me. I think that uh, Bob Hoskins and Dustin Hoffman have really good chemistry. Oh, they're they amazing. play off each other super well. They're both they both understand the assignment. They're both super. Uh, Dustin Hoffman especially is just very hammy in this entire movie and very over the top. And uh, the the set the set looks spectacular with all the decorations and the treasures and and everything like that. Him threatening to kill himself briefly was a, a direction I did not expect the scene to go in, and uh, threw me for a loop briefly. Um, yeah, the scene was kind of an emotional roller coaster because on the one hand, that moment I didn't necessarily love, and where this scene goes after, uh, i.e., the plot that it introduces. I didn't love either, but for some reason, I thought this scene was just really well acted, has some good lines in there, and uh, yet another set that is uh, well decorated in this movie. All right. I liked... uh, The suicide scene made me laugh. It did. I I just felt guilty laughing at it. It's so dramatic. Yeah, it's so dramatic. Uh, I love that Smee completely plays it off. He's like, we've been down here before. Yeah. And then when... (laughs) 
when Dustin Hoffman starts commanding Smee to stop him, yeah. I started giggling. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't like laughing out loud. I was like, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, you're great. Mm. Uh, Abby, what'd you think? Um, okay. So are we talking about the turning the kids scene? Like, I'm talking the, about, I, the dialogue between Smee and Captain Hook? Or are yeah. we talking about the actual... I'm talking journey? about the dialogue between Smee yeah. and Hook where Smee has the idea, why don't you make them love you? And then Captain yeah. Hook has the same idea right after. Yes, that so... Um, I See, I feel like we could have kept this scene and gotten rid of the actual child scene. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I think that this has impact is because it's a glimpse into Captain Hook actually being scared that Peter Pan is going to come back as Peter Pan and that he may lose. Mm -hmm. And he, because before it was him taking Pan's kids to get him to come back. And it's like, well, now that Pan's here, if he wins, then how do I get his children to stay and hurt him still? At least that's how I, you know, how I look at it. So I feel like it is semi-important because it does go to show the fear that Captain Hook still has of Peter Pan, even in this, like, what did you call him? Like bloated uh oh gosh whatever whatever line he used to introduce peter pan or peter banning i guess but yeah i um i get why it could be cut but also i think it it had a bit of significance in the movie so that's fair Mm -hmm. uh any other scenes you want to discuss no no we're all good that's all mine yeah okay uh let's pick our favorite sam what's your favorite scene uh my favorite scene i uh, absolutely should have had this ready so i gotta scroll back to it um that is going to have to be um oh gosh i'm gonna go with the war uh the war scene between the lost boys and the pirates okay in spite of that little lull in the middle uh it's just a really well-directed action scene it's uh spielberg flexing his directorial muscles nice abby sad but really <laughs> yeah that's so with, the mar- awesome. with the marbles mom, it, with the that's marbles sweet. and the mom yeah that's a very sweet answer like it's just like a it's just such a warm moment all right i just love it i love it excellent choice uh i'm going with peter meeting the lost boys and the mm-hmm. oh there you are peter scene mm-hmm. yeah that's my favorite uh all right performance review uh sammy you let off do it again who do you want to talk about um okay I th- well, there's not that many that we can go with. I only have three written down, maybe. Um, what do I want to start with? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take the bad one. I'll I'll let you guys start on Ooh, one of the good ones. Bad one. one. Okay. Um, I I don't care for Julia Roberts. <laughs> nice. I, I I don't mean in general. I I really like her a lot in a number of roles. Aaron, uh, Aaron Brockovich. I recently rewatched Aaron Brockovich and loved it again. Uh, she's phenomenal in that. Uh, you can tell. She's got a little bit of Phantom Menace syndrome in this movie where she's very clearly not in the same room as any of the other actors. She's just on a green screen. Yep. Um, and the cuts to her just feel really awkward uh, when she's just delivering her own dialogue to no one or just like giggling to herself, trying to react to something that it doesn't seem like she knows what she's reacting to. Um, not her fault, necessarily. Uh, that's definitely a director's thing who needs to... The director needs to be really clear about what you're reacting to, what the line means, the context of the scene and all that. But to me, it was pretty clear that she just was not having a good time and not knowing what she was reacting to. I don't know if anyone else felt that way, maybe. But yeah, it, I, felt, it felt a little janky, her, her inserts. Abby? Yeah, I did not <laughs> care for Julia Roberts in this film. <laughs> yeah, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, I just... I have a little bit more on trivia, but uh, Julia Roberts and Steven Spielberg did not get along. Mm. I yeah, I did hear <laughs> yeah about that. There's a lot. <laughs> she actually, also, she she got a Razzie Award nomination 
for for this. I don't necessarily think it's at that level, especially because I feel like it's not entirely her fault. That's just my guess. Um, but yeah, it was not not great. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Abby, who would you like to talk about? I only have two. Okay. Um, and I feel like one of them is going to be talked about anyway. So mine is Arthur Malay. Oh, or however you say his last name. We tried to go over this before we recorded, but I'm still bringing it up. Don't know how to say his last name. Apologies to the Mallet family yeah. if that is indeed how you yes. say it. But, but we're um, going with Malay. I just... He played such a minor role, but also had this like ongoing storyline, like behind the scenes. You know, I talked about one of my favorite scenes being about the marbles and, and whatnot. But I just thought that he played his character so well. Like he's this like crazy old man who's lost his marbles, who like knows that he's put them somewhere. And I just thought that he played that part really well. <laughs> oh, just these very eclectic choices. <laughs> I'm loving it. Uh, I thought he was I, I didn't like him as much as you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love that you just fascinated by him. Yeah. It just tickles me pink, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I thought it was fine. Uh, his basically kind of rhyming speak that he had at the beginning was nice. Uh, he definitely gets a nice ending to his story. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I honestly don't really have much of an opinion on it. I'm just honestly really happy that you liked it that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also did not have much of an opinion on Toodles. Uh, honestly, the the final shot of him like floating back out into the sky is is where the full cynic in me was just like, oh come on, Steven Spielberg, like this doesn't need to be this sentimental. The John Williams score swelling. It was it was a bit much at the end. Um, I love that you loved this character. <laughs> I think a part of that also comes probably because this character is also in the uh, original uh, Peter Pan as well, right? Am I not? If I'm not. I mean, he is a lost boy, Okay. but I don't know mm. any of the lost boys, really. Like, I don't know a lot of their names. Neither okay, so, I, I was just wondering yeah. if, maybe if, if it was your connection to the original that made you feel this way, but uh, cool. Yeah, this is a, this is, I'm going to reuse a phrase that I said earlier. This is an instance of the actor understanding the assignment. Yeah. Knew, just knowing exactly what's asked of him. I personally wasn't blown away by this, but he definitely knew what was being asked of him and, and rose to the occasion. No doubt about that. Are you looking up a couple of names of some uh, some Lost Boys there, Manny? Yeah, trying to see if there's a Toodles in the... No, and you know what? The Lost Boys <clears throat> are just called Lost Boys. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not I got nothing. Okay. Candy, I thought it was... I Candy thought it was a... Candidito did the Indian chief voice, though. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks, for, <laughs> thanks man. <laughs> thanks for that. Really appreciate the hard work you put in there. Um, it is alluded to in this movie that Toodles is a Lost Boy, though, right? Oh, yes. They, okay. I don't even think it's, it's alluded. It's I think it's flat out said. They, okay. they flat out say it. Yeah. All right, cool. Okay, well then, you guys both dodged it. I'm going to go right in. Let's talk about Dustin Hoffman. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is fucking just chef's kiss amazing. I can't this. believe you didn't like this performance when you were a kid. I mean, I, I, can, I certainly had some bad opinions when I was 16 as well, but that this is an awesome performance. You gotta remember, as a sixteen-year-old, I'm too cool. Yeah, for this. That's true. Hundred percent too cool for this. Uh, as a forty-six-year-old, not cool enough for this. <laughs> you're argu- Yeah, you're arguably like you need some work in order to appreciate this performance. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I, I I won't. I like. I won't lie. Watching this, turning this movie on, I was ready. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to break Abby's heart. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tear this movie apart, and I'm like, and I was literally dreading seeing Dustin Hoffman in this role and nothing could be further from the truth. He is just so much fun to watch on screen. He 
kills it. He has great comedic timing. He has this great rapport with Smee, with Bob Hoskins. His voice that he chooses, he sounds like Jeremy Irons. Mm -hmm. He sounds exactly like Jeremy Irons. Um, he's You can see he's having so much fun in this role. He... His him being suicide the suicidal scene made me laugh. I don't know if you guys noticed it's only one scene, but he has a double cigar smoker. I oh I didn't notice yeah, that. I couldn't understand. <laughs> like you know, like you know those those things. Mostly women have that long thing that they they yes. put this. Well, it prongs off. It's got two cigars on it. Oh, wicked! I couldn't figure out the reason for it. I think it's in the. Like the animated movie. In the animated movie? Yeah, I'm pretty positive it is. And it's, if it's not, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty like, sure it no is. Sense, but yeah, I love it. Because awesome. <laughs> I think that in the animated movie, he's like turning it, I want to say. in like, his, like spit roasting? Pretty much, but yeah. I, I swear it's from like a pull from that. Probably, for sure. Um, I honestly just can't heap enough praise on his performance and his uh, chemistry with Bob Hoskins. Mm -hmm. uh, watching him in every, every time he's on screen, my enjoyment of this movie went up. The other thing, pardon me, that I really want to mention, I didn't get to mention during the, the final battle, but I'll do it here. Um, Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams' swordplay is actually really good. Mm -hmm. Their fight scene is very well choreographed. And it's and mostly in camera. It's mostly in camera, which, again, I always love. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. Thoughts on Dustin Hoffman, Sam? Um, I'm going to throw another movie critic cliche at us right now yep. to describe this performance. And that is, this was transformative. This is a transformative performance. I straight up did not recognize him for the first two scenes, maybe. he was It was like scene number three-ish. Yep. I went, that's... That's Dustin Hoffman right now. I didn't know it was him, and I, uh, I, yeah, I was, I was blown away um, by his performance. I, I thought this was really good. I, I'm surprised that I hadn't heard more about this performance uh, because of how good it is. It's, it's pretty hammy at times. Yep. Uh, eating a bit of a ham sandwich, but I love it. Like that's exactly what's being asked for right now. It's a silly kids movie. Understood the assignment for the third time. I'm going to use that. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, just fully leaned into the role, was convincing with it, and uh, made made some choices that made him unrecognizable. And I, I was really impressed. Perfect. Abby? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And even when he gets his wig pulled off and it's like, that should reveal him, mm -hmm. like, I, you still have a hard time believing that that's Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Like, it, he is so brilliant in this role it is he's just he's he's so incredible a, a good choice by the way by the make uh, the hair and uh, makeup team to have that moment of him being sort of stripped back and the uh, the facade of who hook is kind of being torn away a little bit of like this is actually just this old bitter man mm -hmm. kind of pretending to be who he's saying he is yep i kind of yep. like that moment awesome uh any other performances you want to do talk about the only other one i have written down is robin williams but we did already touch on basically everything i wanted to say he's good he's, he's all right he's just not great he's not the usual lovable robin williams type i found myself um wanting more mm -hmm. from him yeah bob hoskins is me okay yeah i just thought he was so great i <laughs> like, agree he um 
all of his lines were just so well done. The introduction that you talked about earlier, Sam, he's just like, he just captivates you. And he like, when he's doing the introduction, for instance, like he, he just like gets your attention and you're like, man, who is this person he's introducing? Even though we know who it is, but like he, yeah, he did a really great job. And then it, it makes me happy that the two of them were paired together because they both equally had a strong um, performance and they I didn't think that they outshadowed each other I think that they actually like helped each other yep. along they raised so, each other up yeah yeah I agree uh I love Bob Hoskins in this I have always really enjoyed Bob Hoskins in pretty much almost everything I've seen him in uh he is unreal in Who Framed Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. uh with all the work he does um I'm a I, th- I think I might throw that into the movie that we're going to do for this podcast. I would love to do that movie. I w- uh, I've been wanting to watch it for so long. I, know, I think it. I might just force it on us so it'll give you the reason <laughs> to watch it. Um, yeah, I don't have anybody else that I need to talk about. Me neither. No? Cool. Okay. Um, a brief shout out. Yeah. Maggie, Maggie Smith. Oh, okay. Love her. That, that's all I want to okay. say. She's so charming and great. Uh, are we picking a favorite performance? Did we do that last I week? I think we did, yeah. Oh, yeah, we definitely did. Send yeah. your favorite performance. I would be surprised if we don't all have the same three. I love Dustin Hoffman in this movie. Ditto. Same. Cool. <laughs> <Easy. Wicked. laughs> all right, technical review. We'll go through this pretty quickly. Uh, we're getting close to crunch time where we got to let Abby go, so, yeah. so we'll, we'll speed through this. Um, so it's directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, I'm just going to say uh, his power to work emotions. Um, when Peter is found by uh, – I already forgot the kid's name um, – it, it got me. Obviously, it worked. Abby was crying talking about the scene. <laughs> um, Spielberg, he, his, his ability to manipulate our emotions cinematically is honestly unparalleled. I cannot think of another filmmaker that can play with my emotions on a consistent basis the way this man can. Yeah, like uh, I, def- I know I definitely shat on his uh, over-sentimentality. Sorry, did I just kick you under the table? No, I was like, I'm like... I didn't realize your foot was that far off. Yeah. We're playing little footsies. There. I'm tall. We're playing footsies. <laughs> you are fucking, you are fucking tall. <laughs> Things get flirtatious in here when the episodes get long. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I know that I really shat on his over-sentimentality a little bit earlier, uh, but when it works, it really works. Uh, there's there's a lot of moments in his filmography that um, border on cheesiness where he walks the tightrope really yep. well. So when it works, it does work. It just went a little bit far for me at a couple times here. Um, yeah, no worries. I already talked about uh, his direction with uh, things like meeting eyelines yep. and, and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, even though, uh, like, very, very few of the uh, problems with this movie are to do with Spielberg's technical prowess, because how could they be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Abby? Yeah, I, I just loved his attention to detail. Like, the mural in the kids' room, mm-hmm. um, the hook on the door, yeah. you know, the shadows. Oh, yeah, the, the little latch on yeah, the Yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. the details, like, how he would stand. And, like, when he learned he was Pan and he was already in his, like, you know, his Peter Pan stance. And just, like, those little tiny things. Um, I don't know if I can talk about the plot line here. But this whole story about Wendy and Peter Pan, it grossed me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> like when they get like a little bit close, look like they're going to kiss at the well, beginning. Well, and just knowing about? like, like, could you imagine being Mora and being like, oh, my grandmother and like loved him, <laughs> still does. Like clearly like there's a tension there. Like she yeah. still obviously loves him deeply. And it's like it that is just... I, I understand the purpose of it. I do, but it grosses me out. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> It's whack. like, I can't be with you, so here's my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who did Wendy marry? That's, where, that's a good question. Where is he? I don't know. 
I don't know. Why does it have to be about the men, Manny? Yeah, Manny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I saw my opportunity and I took it. I don't know. Wait, is Moira, Mo- isn't Moira her daughter? Granddaughter. Granddaughter, I heard, yeah. Yeah, because she's like in her 80s or something when Pan comes back as 18. And then that's when he gets, um. oh my gosh, what is the Adopted, word? Adopted yeah. thank you. Adopted out. And oh. so they're the same age, the granddaughter and him. All right. Yeah. Okay. Which I think it would have even been more gross for me if it was the daughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, true. like it's just, it's a, I, a generation right? buffer. Right. Like I, I, like I said, I understand the purpose of it. We obviously had to have some sort of tie. You know that that's not Wendy. You, like, there, there has to be an explanation to the family, but it just was so gross to me. It's fair. Uh, cinematography by Dean Cundy. Uh, I didn't really have anything of note, I didn't find the cinematography good or bad. No, yeah. It's... There was a couple really nice shots. Um, it's funny. I somewhat recognized the name Dean Cundy, so I had to look up his filmography. Uh, this guy's done a lot of really good shit. Mm. He did the entire Back to the Future. Uh, he did Jurassic Park. He did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And he did the cinematic masterpiece, oh, no, what's going on? Roadhouse. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that if you referred to if, if there was one movie in that in that group with Jurassic Park and Back to the Future, and this one is the cinematic masterpiece, I knew it couldn't have been a good thing. Uh, Apollo thirteen, we also talked about uh, for Dean Cundy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on the cinematography. I didn't think it was good nor bad. Yeah, not really. Um, I respect the choice. I don't know whether this would be under Dean uh, Dean Cundy's. Uh, purview or yep. whether it would be under spielberg's but the decision in a lot of these action scenes to just kind of have the camera mounted wide shot and have everything choreographed just in camera i, I like that decision kind, i think kind I of think, a non-decision that works really well i think it's a spielberg thing because he does that often yeah in my opinion okay um the score by john williams i actually forgot how good this score is. dude i had no idea i was listening f- first of all uh like love john williams obviously um <laughs> i Watching this, I was blown away by the score and how, uh, I mean, Spielberg knows how to manipulate emotions. John Williams is like the master. He knows when to make that that high violin just hit you right in your fucking heart. Um, yeah, I was blown away by the score. I listened to it again today uh, in preparation for this, and I was, yeah, I was really shocked at how much I didn't know what a great score this is. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i got nothing we <laughs> the only fun fact that i will say though is that when bowie was like little little casey had a playlist of john williams and he would just play it like on and he it would put him to sleep he loved it <laughs> i can't i can't think of the exact moment right now but there's a couple moments in the score where i was like that's star wars like there's there's a couple of themes in mm. here where it feels like there was some overlap it might have even been overlap with the sequel or the uh, prequel trilogy scores I can't remember exactly. There's a couple of moments in here. I'm like, oh, that's Harry Potter. Yeah, right? Like you, you can kind of hear a couple of little references almost. But yeah. uh, I'm going to skip over editing. Uh, mm-hmm. Abby mentioned the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's get to the probably the most impressive part, uh, and that's the set decoration. Yeah, this movie had an insane budget, and it feels like every time he got a budget increase, he was just like, add another piece of treasure in Hook's cabin or, you know, add another piece of food on the table or add another insane tree. The sets here were nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The only thing, though, is it didn't win. So what did it lose to? It lost that movie you and I were talking about. There's, like, one word. I can't remember what it was. It's, like, a name. Bugsy? It no. lost to Bugsy for I, set decoration? I think so, yeah. What the fuck is it? I think that's why I remembered Our that movie. There it is. 
I think that's why I took note of that movie's title is because I was like, whoa, if this movie didn't win set decoration or art direction, whatever it was called at the time, that's nuts. Okay, I've seen Bugsy once. Yeah. Now I'm very interested in rewatching it. Hmm. I was already before, but to beat this, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Think of the sets, Abby. You've oh, already, already kind of touched on yeah. the, the murals and stuff. Yeah, I I kind of like blurred everything all into one in my little these things happen monologue. But um, I I loved the sets. I I thought that he did such a great job of showing like the bedroom, you know, from Peter Pan and like Hook's ship and um, even just like down to the baseball diamond. Like <laughs> it was, yeah. He did such a, a great job. <laughs> I, agree, I agree with you, but I just totally forgot there's even a baseball but scene see, in this movie. Again, like, what is that doing in here? <laughs> which, which I get the point of it. I understand. But, like, cut. Like, yeah. two hours and 20 minutes. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, this seems ridiculous. Uh, the costumes and hair makeup are obviously great. Nominated. Yeah. Uh, don't really think there's anything that special we're talking about. The special effects, uh, obviously a little dated. It is 30 years old. This is pre-CGI, uh, but I think they do fine well. What they do, the only thing that didn't work for me really was um, Tinkerbell being inserted into the shots. Yeah. It, it just doesn't look right anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, it, it worked. It doesn't now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the fault of the film. It's just when it was Just made. time. Yep. Um, other than that, um, I think it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Favorite quotes. Uh, Sammy, lead us off. Okay. Uh, I have four, but a few of them are long. Okay. Um, one of them is simply the line. Uh, this is probably the biggest laugh for me in the movie. I've just had an apostrophe. <laughs> 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 that made me actually like chortle. Yep. Uh, uh, also from Smee, number two. Um, good morning, Neverland. Tie down the main mast, mateys, because here he is, the cunning kingfish, the bad barracuda, a man so deep he's almost unfathomable, a man so quick he's even fast asleep thank you now let's give him a big hand because he's only got one i give you the steel-handed stingray captain james hook excellent Uh, choice thank you uh number three is from uh mr robin williams uh you're a you're a complex freudian hallucination having something to do with my mother and i don't know why you have wings but you have very lovely legs and you're a very nice tiny person and what am i saying i don't know who my mother was i'm an orphan and i've never taken drugs because i missed the 60s i was an accountant (laughs) Um, turns out I actually do have five. Uh, one of them was just two that I didn't put a space between. So I have another one here. Right. Um, it, this is from that scene I alluded to, uh, earlier of Moira, uh, telling Peter that she's missing, uh, oh, nice. their childhood. Yep. Um, I hated the deal, but I'm sorry you feel so badly about it. Your children love you. They want to play with you. How long do you think that lasts? Soon Jack might need might not even want you to come to his games we have a few special years with our children when they're the ones that want us around after that it's going to be or you're going to be running after them for a bit of attention it's so fast peter it's a few years and it's over and you're not being careful and you're missing it i love that scene uh and then number five to live to live would be an awfully big adventure nice that's what i got abby okay i i have I'll go with three. Okay. Um, first is um, when Cap- it's Captain Hook. He says, you know, you're really not Peter Pan, don't you? This is only a dream. When you wake up, you'll just be Peter Banning, a cold, selfish man who drinks too much, is obsessed with success, and runs and hides from his wife and children. Because, like, ah, I just I love that. <laughs> um, okay. I love in, uh, again, Captain Hook, 
when he just says, well, my stupid, sorry, parasitic sacks of entrails. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Um, and then, of course, uh, oh, I have four. So love bangering, like just one word. Just yeah. love it. And then um, a classic for me is, oh, there you are, Peter. Obviously made me emotional. But I use that line far too often. Oh, oh well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, bangerang. Is that from this? Yes. yes. Okay, because I have a friend who still says that often, and I've never known where it's from. Yeah, it's from yeah. this. And he's a, he's a big movie nut, so I'll have to let him know. Okay. Um, also, you said there was a quote earlier that you would be surprised if I did or did not have. Uh, am I misremembering that? You heard that, right? I did. Yeah. yeah I um, oh, my gosh. It's I a... didn't write it down. Oh, it's okay. We can go to Manny, and you can see if you can remember it, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So I've got five. Uh, so the first one is from the collection of the Lost Boys. Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Uh, next is from Pockets. Oh, there you are, Peter. Mm. Uh, next is uh, an exchange between Peter and Captain Hook. I remember you being a lot bigger. To a 10-year-old, I'm huge. Mm. Uh, another one from Peter. A little bit different from the, your selection. To die would be a grand adventure. Ah, nice. And the last one is from Tinkerbell. Julia Roberts' only good moment in the film, in my opinion. Mm. You know that place between sleep and awake? That place where you still remember dreaming? That's where I'll always love you, Peter Pan. That's where I'll be waiting. Uh, you see the like intro. Re- the what? It, it was the intro. The introduction? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> awesome. Sam, what's your favorite quote? Uh, I think that is actually my favorite quote. Nice. The, the, the introduction from Smee. You're absolutely bang on. Wicked. <laughs> Abby, your favorite quote. Oh, there you are, Peter. Oh, I, I'm with you. That's my favorite <laughs> quote as well. Oh, there you are, Peter. Um, Sam, weak link of the film. Um, I, I guess I would go with the uh, the length, kind of the the length, but not just because it's long. You know, like the overbloated nature. Uh, I guess to put that another way, the screenplay. Uh, screen, okay. Screenplay needed some trimming, in All my right. opinion. Um. I don't know. That's that's my best guess right now. All right. Abby? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when I think about Weak Link, I am seeing it from, like, the acting perspective. And yep. is, to me, it's Julia fine. Roberts. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's a good pick. <laughs> yeah, that's good my pick. pick. Oh, okay. Julia Roberts yeah. as well. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. I got some trivia. I'll go through it really quickly. Um, Robin Williams became best friends with director Steven Spielberg while making this movie. Reportedly, after Williams' death, Spielberg decided to watch this movie out of remembrance but couldn't finish it because he couldn't stop crying for several hours. Oh, man. That's so sad. Uh, If you remember, um, there's a kissing couple on the bridge when Mm -hmm. they start flying away. Uh, That's George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. Weird. Yep. That's that's so weird. (laughs) Yep. Um, Bob Hoskins bought beer for 300 uh, extras after a lengthy and complicated scene was cut. Mm. Uh, Dustin Hoffman's former co-star, John Voight, asked him if he could bring his children, James Haven and Angelina Jolie, to the set because they were dying to meet Captain Hook. Hoffman agreed to meet them while in costume. Jolie was 16 years old, and Hoffman described her as a tall, thin, gawky-looking girl with a mouthful of braces. After Julie told Hoffman she was going to be an actress, Hoffman went home to his wife and said, I don't think this kid has any idea what a tough road she's got. I seriously, maybe I did know this at one point. I did not know that John Voight was Angelina Jolie's dad. Oh, you forgot? I, I probably just knew that fact and forgot, but I definitely did. Um, Gutless, the male bearded pirate who was locked in the boo box <laughs> yeah. with scorpions, was played by Glenn Close. 
Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> of uh, of hillbilly elegy fame. Yes. As you, as yes. You know. Similar, that, similar that, makeup. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, Julia Roberts was nicknamed Tinker Hell because she was difficult to deal with, a reaction to her working conditions of solitude and green screen. Because Tinkerbell was often in the air, Julia Roberts had an assistant whose sole responsibility was cleaning her feet. Oh, boy. Oh, gross. Uh, Peter and his family fly Pan Am Airlines to London. To London, Pan Am went out of business on December 4th, 1991, exactly one week before this movie's release date. Wah, no! Wah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Dustin Hoffman appeared in two movies about Peter Pan, this movie and Finding Neverland, a movie that we've reviewed. We have. Uh, following his appearance in this movie, close friend and former roommate Gene Hackman began calling him Hook as a joke. <laughs> the name stuck, and his contemporaries call him by that nickname to this day. Oh, no way. Oh, funny. That's, that's really cool. Um, Steven Spielberg and Michael Jackson's friendship ended due to this movie. Several years earlier, Spielberg had told Jackson of his desire to make a live-action version of Peter Pan. Uh, a character and story Jackson was famously obsessed with. According to Spielberg, from then on, Jackson was under the completely mistaken impression Spielberg had promised him the lead role. When he subsequently didn't get the part, Jackson took the perceived snub extremely personally and never spoke to Spielberg again. Damn. Petty little bitch. Yep. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> that's bold. <laughs> According to an interview with People Magazine, uh, Rashawn Hammond, thudbutt, uh, reveals that the scene where Peter passes his sword to one of the Lost Boys was improvised. None of the cast knew unto whom he would pass the sword except for Robin Williams and Steven Spielberg. So the reaction of the boys are genuine. I knew you'd love that one. Look at her. <laughs> I do. Uh, okay, I got some casting what ifs. Wait, I have oh. one more fun fact. Do it. There is one more cameo that you've missed. Oh. Phil Collins is the officer. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's not cool. in there. But yeah, Phil Collins. And now that I look at it and I will watch it, I'm like, oh my God, obviously it's <laughs> yeah. him. Like, what? Um, Joseph Mazzello, who's in Jurassic Park, the young boy in Jurassic Park. Nice. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, he was considered for the role of Jack, but was turned down, being too young for the role. Steven Spielberg promised him a role in the future movie, which ended up being Jurassic Park. Worked out okay for the kid. Uh, Tom Hanks was considered for the role of Peter Pan. Would have been good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, Winona Ryder was considered for the role of Tinkerbell. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with Julia Roberts or anything like that, mm -hmm. but... Like, the problem isn't her, in my opinion. It's just, like, she's very clearly not on set with the other people. It's really difficult to give a good performance yep. like that. Uh, Donald Sutherland was considered for Ch Captain Hook. Also would have been good. Yep. Uh, Christopher Lloyd was considered for Captain Hook. I can't picture that. No, he's... he. That That's a little too... I like him too much. I don't know. <laughs> just wait till you watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, true. Okay, fair enough. Uh... Steven Spielberg originally asked Sir Richard Attenborough to play Toodles. Attenborough declined as he was directing Chaplin at the time. Oh. oh. I like this one. Uh, Kevin Klein was originally set to play Peter Pan. Yeah, but had to drop that. out of his movie because of Soap Dish. He would have uh, really nailed the manning, or the banning uh, side of Peter. Yep. He, he would have really gotten the, the lawyer thing down. Um, do you think he would have been good Peter Pan? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love Kevin Klein. Interesting. I know that your only experiences with him is a movie you didn't like. Trust me, Kevin Klein's good. 
Uh, life is a house. Dave. Dave, yes. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked, a movie you love. I love that Have movie. You seen Dave? No. Oh. Great movie. Okay. I, I watched it uh, not knowing anything about it. It was like a, an old comedy that Manny recommended to me through the podcast. I, actually, um, what, one day when we didn't have we didn't have access to one of the movies we were gonna watch, so at the last minute we were like, "Oh, we'll just put Dave in there. We'll just do an easy like easy comedy." I gave it a five. I fucking loved it. Oh, okay, <laughs> it okay. Was awesome. Um, as revealed on Amblin Road's official Instagram account in May 2020, Leonardo DiCaprio auditioned for an unspecified role. Whoa. As he was age 15 to 16 at the time, he would have been too old for the role of 11-year-old Jack. It's been speculated he was testing for the role of Rufio. Mm. And the last casting what if I have, I found and immediately thought of Dear Abby. David Bowie turned down the role of Captain Hook. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. I did not know that. Very I cool. I thought you'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Closing credits. We'll get through these quickly as well. Sam, would you watch this movie again? Yes. Abby? Yes. Yeah, I'll watch it again. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes. Yes. I would. MVP of the film? Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> um, all right. Recommend a good double feature with this film. Easy one. Uh, Pan 53. Or Peter Pan 53. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I went a different route. So I said, I. like, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, or, oh, that's really good. Or Jumanji. Yeah. But more Mrs. more Mrs. like Mrs. Doubtfire. Totally. That's yeah. a good call. Ooh, I like where you guys went with that. Mm-hmm. I went with the Goonies. Okay. Yeah, I could Elaborate? Huh? Elaborate, please. The Goonies? Yeah. Have you not seen it? I've seen the Goonies. Oh. Yeah. It's it's a, a kid's... Just like, to- like tonally? Like a, ki- you- a kid's adventure movie. Okay. Just yeah. what... The Goonies is just a little bit more mature than this film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can get on board with that. I had another one, and I picked E.T. E.T. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, I feel like I had one more that I that I, I wanted to do just in case Peter Pan was a little too easy, which it is, but yeah, I don't know. All right. You got it? No, I can't remember. All right. What will be this film's legacy? Um, unfortunately, one of the worst Steven Spielberg movies and one of the ones that he really doesn't like in his own filmography. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably it. Also, a little more generously, I guess, a cult classic that a lot of kids grew up with. Um. So, a, a beloved childhood movie for kids uh, of a certain era, and then also, unfortunately, one of Spielberg's worst. Yep. Yeah, the latter was going to be mine. Just the fact that it's, like, taking this old childhood story and elaborating on it a little bit. It's, like, a fun sequel, if you will. I think the legacy of this film is it's considered one of Spielberg's worst. Nope. Yes. <laughs> That's what I think the legacy of this film will be. Um, did you learn anything from this movie? Uh... As you grow older, it is easy to lose your innocence and forget about what is really important. Oh my gosh, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> this is only the second time we've done this question. I felt really embarrassed by my answer the first not embarrassed, but I felt disappointed by my answer the first time. So I, I spent time on this one this time. <laughs> Abby? I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. I mean, my other answer was Spielberg is human. He, he has whoopsies sometimes. All right. Yeah, fair. Um, something that I've learned from this film. Yeah. I, I, hmm. 
maybe that you can lean on your peers to also find yourself. Like it's not until Peter Pan has essentially convinced everybody else almost that he is who he is. And then he start, you know, like it's like they kind of help him figure out who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your, your image of yourself is often partially formed by others image of you. Yeah. 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 Okay, I can go on board with that. Uh, for me, what I learned from this movie is the importance of having fun and keeping a part of your childhood intact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt. Yeah. Um, Sam, your final thoughts, briskly. Briskly. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep this one to a shorter length than the movie itself, but suffice it to say, I did have a good time with this movie. Um, there was a lot of... I shouldn't say a lot. There's a decent amount of eye rolling at mm-hmm. the at the cheesiness and over-sentimentality that Spielberg can succumb to at his worst. Um but nonetheless, it's a very well-made kids movie. Um, I actually didn't have time to watch this with Emma. Our schedules didn't align. Uh, and she was really bummed because she actually grew up with this movie. So oh. I'll, I'll have to uh, ask her uh, what her opinion was for, for next time. Um, but nonetheless, I, uh, I, had a, I had a really good time. I, I, had, I had a surprisingly good time in spite of the length, in spite of the cheesiness, um, just because of how well-made it is and how good Dustin Hoffman is. Okay. Abby? Obviously, I love this movie and I enjoyed revisiting it, but I liked watching it through a different lens, like actually not picking apart it, but having to pay more attention to other parts of it than just the story itself. Um, I I just had a lot of fun with this one. I had a a really good time watching this movie. Like I said before, I've said it numerous times throughout this episode, is that I was actually dreading this and I was ready to rip this movie apart and I actually had a really great time. While I still truly believe that this is near the bottom of Spielberg's list, it was definitely a lot better than I remember. It's more a testament to the remainder of his list than it is like an indictment on the movie. His list is unreal. <laughs> uh, all right, time for ratings. Sam, what are you giving this movie? I, I, this feels pretty safe in three territory. It never really approached a four. Um, I don't see this becoming like one of my like classic uh, rewatches <laughs> or anything like that, but it was solid. It was, a, it was not a bad movie with good points like i thought at times it might be mm-hmm. uh it was a good movie with problems which for me lands it as a, th- as a three mm-hmm. abby i'm biased at a five yeah, yeah! Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. that is fucking awesome it's a three for me as well i'm always delighted when manny and i are not overtly positive about a particular movie and the person still likes it that much yeah at the end. i like, think there was one time we had wes on the show i can't remember what movie it was but it was for like one of his favorite movies you and i didn't like it and he was like yeah, you're right. It's probably just a four. I was heartbroken. I was like, no, I don't want to ruin your enjoyment of this movie. No, like I, I un, like I can see people's points on it. I can see why people don't like it. I mean, obviously, Steven Spielberg being who he is has to have lower movies. Like you can, they just can't all be great. Like right. even in a list of grades, there still has to be some that aren't so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, like I said, in my major, major ramble, this is just such a movie that I hold dear and totally close to my heart. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. So that wraps up Hook. But before we let Abby go, we have something to reveal as oh, the yeah. voting is in for our Halloween horror episode. There's four films that made the final cut. Those four films were Exorcist, It Follows, Scream, and Happy Death Day. Those were the finalists. The votes are in. The votes are cast. Next week, Sam, the movie we're reviewing for our Halloween horror episode is The Exorcist. Oh, yes. Okay. I knew it, and I'm sweating. Right now. <laughs> I'm. 
Oh my god. Sweet. I'm Just, I'm excited for this. I am terrified. This movie scared the shit out of me. For all of you listeners out there, this is like the movie. I told you guys this. This is the movie that like I'm terrified of it. My the layout to my childhood house was the same as the movie. Like I am terrified of this movie. I couldn't even vote because I knew that I needed to pick that movie, and I was like, I can't even think about picking that movie because then I think of that movie, and then I get terrified again. Are you gonna watch it with us? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no. My I happen to know that my father uh, is not very much a horror movie fan. I don't think he really gets the scary thing. I don't think he really gets scared at a lot of movies. He has told me that anytime he is in a dark room, he sees that face. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he, he says. He's still horrified of this movie to this day. I think he watched it close to its original release date in the, in the 70s. Awesome. All right. So, Exorcist next week. We'll wrap this up quickly. Thank you so much, Abby. Abby, well we're, done again. <laughs> we're, we're pushing your exit time a lot closer. That's than I okay. Yeah, your uh, your sophomore effort was uh, was very very good. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you came on with us. It was awesome having you again. Like we said last time, it's an open door policy. Yes. You've expressed your interest for Beauty and the Beast. We'll see if we can make that work. Um, we'll, we'll well you and I'll stay in touch, of course. Obviously, yeah, we'll have obviously. We'll be playing some <laughs> other games. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome having yeah, you. Thank you for thinking of me, and thank you. I I loved this. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. It does increase our profile. Allows more people to find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42 and Sam Reimer. Yeah, perfect. Okay, cool. Let's get out. For the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Bangarang, I'm Sam Reimer.